Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome missing. The Carl Nelson Show. Grand Rising family, thanks for starting your Wednesday hump day with us. Later, Baltimore constitutional and defense attorney Adwright Pettit will return to our classroom. Attorney Pettit will discuss a, 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 well, the myriad of lawsuits Donald Trump is facing. Before Attorney Pettit, though, the Faith Brothers will join us. Prior to the Faith Brothers, emergency room physician Dr. Val Crowder will check in. Dr. V will talk about what she says is a cure for sickle cell anemia. But to get us started, Haitian activist Dr. Jude Azad is here. Dr. Azad, good morning, brother. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good morning to you, and thanks for having me. Yeah, give us an update on on, on the situation that's gone down in Haiti, because the last time we talked, there was a lot of chatter about Kenya and some other uh, foreign countries sending in troops to, to Haiti. Has that materialized? Uh, sadly, we cannot report positively to this. No, it did not happen. And, this, and the reason uh, that it didn't happen, though, is, as you were aware of, that uh, Kenya was supposed to take the lead on that case, right? So um, the the last update is that the parliament of Kenya just, yes, ruled that they were supposed to send a 1,000 officers in there. However, uh, this past week, uh, the, the highest court of Kenya actually blocked that idea, the, the, that um, ruling, and ruled instead that they were not they were not sending anybody in Haiti, and the reason once again is that uh, the oppos the um, the the, the um, opponents of uh, sending people in Haiti on the Kenyan side suggested that there are so many Kenyans suffering of insecurity. So why sending officers a thousand officers or a thousand miles away? Yeah, that's interesting. Has this issue been brought up by CARICOM? Have they talked about it? I know they deal a lot with economic issues, but have they talked about the issues and the problems in Haiti? Well, I mean, it depends on who you ask. I mean, a lot of people suggest, and they've been meeting, I believe, uh, to uh, see how to come up with some sort of, sort of idea or, uh, if you will, remedy the situation of Haiti, but it's always come short, um, and 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 nothing have you know so far so far nothing. Uh, nobody were able, no other country or or Haiti itself has been able to quell the violence in Haiti. Yeah, uh, recently uh, there was an arrest in the uh, I guess the assassination of the last Haitian president. Is there anything more on that that we should know about? Well, there have been some arrests made, uh, especially in mid-year, but nothing really uh, to report on on this because uh, the the again, this is my my uh, my my idea. This is my um, opinion, my personal opinion that 
uh, such things should be done in Haiti. Uh, most people that have been persecuted so far uh, have been in the U.S., okay? So, and that's something that the people of Haiti deserve. It's, this should have been done, should have been done. But what, then again, when you consider a country with no functioning government, you can understand why everything is happening outside and the people of Haiti has no decision made, not no power over, uh, no power or even little to say uh, about it. Instead, they're hearing about it. But no, nothing has been significantly done either to change the the gang violence in Haiti or um, bringing uh, sort of Instead, what we're seeing, if you will, it, what we're seeing is, is, is more dangerous now is the release of, of former uh, plot uh, coup, if you will, uh, maker Guy Philippe, who have been released from American prison and been sent to Haiti. So that's a, a different um, conversation. Yeah, and Guy Philippe, is, is he back on the island now or, or is he, I know you said he's been released, but is he back there now? Yes, has been released from from prison, uh, American prison, uh, as you know, for uh, money laundering and uh, two narcotic uh, activities. So now he's been released and sent back to the to the to the island. I'm sure that he, um, what I'm hearing is that he is back in his hometown in Pistel, which is a, a, a south southwest part of Haiti. So yeah, he's back in the island. That makes makes it kind of more uh, volatile for his nation that's already controlled by gang. Uh, sending this guy in Haiti now, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, it's what it's, it's you know you just got to wait and see what's going to happen because considering that this gentleman is definitely uh, um, I won't say I don't have to say it because it's public knowledge that what he've done in 2004 uh, he actually diverted the, the 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 first black nation uh, the idea of the Haitianist, Haitianism and also uh, to celebrate 2000 years I mean to excuse me 200 years of independence in 2004 that idea itself uh, was to be admired but because of him uh, at least on the surface was the reason the reason why that wasn't possible all right, family's just waking up. It's uh, six minutes after the top of the hour. I guess it's Dr. Judah Zid- Azad. He's giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. And uh, Dr. Azad, we're going to get into uh, the reparations issue, too, uh, with France and all of that, and how Haiti got to what it, what it, what it is today, the problems in Haiti. But if you, if, if, if you had the magic wand, if you had, you know, if you had the authority to, to cure all the, the ills that are on and going on in Haiti now, what would you, what does Haiti need to, to be restored back? Well, thank you for that. Good question. But, well, there is no, you cannot have a country that, that you can't have a country, you can't have, just like you cannot have a family if you want to have a family of the future. The future, the politic is the future. Uh, anyone that should lead the nation should actually see the future, should be able to uh, see what what is needed and 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 what what do you what kind of dream you have for the country what kind of dream what do you see as growing up what we're seeing uh, what we have been seeing uh, is that a lot of people that led Haiti have no dream to better for the betterment of Haiti so uh, 
to make things better, and the situation is deteriorated so much, and in order for you to bring it back, it will take time. But take time, something has to start somewhere, right? So basically, to to start with, uh, it should secure Haiti, secure Haiti, and that's the reason why you see so many uh, people questioning or so many other nations. First thing they talk about is, okay, you have to secure that nation, uh, of course. My idea is bad people are going to do bad things. Uh, that's their job. You can't tell them not to do it, but what you can do as government entity is to establish laws that mean, meaning is to empower empower the court system and empower the court system and also pay the police officers. What we what we're seeing in Haiti, which is a cliche, is people having jobs for beautiful to wear a beautiful garment and go to work, but they're not getting paid for decent living. So this should be um, should be addressed. And the reason why it's not being addressed or even ignored is because the money is doing is going in a different direction. It's not being used for the people. Although you can hear a lot of big money going to Haiti, the money is going back where it's come from. So, anyways. Um, First thing first is to secure the, the place, and that is to um, do some sort of um, empowerment to the court system, make sure that it exists, not only exists, but also functioning, and make sure that there are police officers to enforce that. And the second thing is to build. Make sure you have real prison, and I hate it, don't have, don't have good prisons, real prisons. Uh, we, we see things that people just take a bulldozer and break a prison. You can't have prison in the city, in capital city. Uh, it has to be on the countryside, and uh, it shouldn't be easy for people to just walk to a prison. Uh, and, and that's what we see in Haiti. And this, the, the, the second thing is to empower the, the farmers, uh, because Haiti is, you know, essentially has always grown up uh, agricultural. So therefore, there have to be some kind of uh, way of making sure that you pay if they, if it's not possible, if possible. You gotta pay them to stay in the farm and 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 do that and 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 empower them so that so the people of the country so we can have to build at least uh, food security in the country which we don't have right now. That's the reason why people are going back to Dominican Republic and they're showing off the the, the I mean everything they have uh, negative about us. Is, although I believe that they're racist. Well, so um, those are the things that. First thing is to do the decentralization of Port-au-Prince. There's too many people living in Port-au-Prince, and not because they wanted to, it's because everything is concentrated in Port-au-Prince. We got to do some decongestion of Port-au-Prince, sending some real entity that's starting with school, education, real college in the in the countryside building them to allow the people in this area to have school. Why not people from Port-au-Prince going there instead? Uh, the country, the capital city should be, we should have people, uh, educated people, political people that serve the country, that serve a reason. They can represent their, their, their town, but not really come just to, just to uh, hang out. It's not a hangout place. It should be a place where people work. So, Basically, that's that would be my you know that would be the first thing uh, done. Right. Uh, Twelve at the top of that, but uh, Doctor Dude, don't you think we should Haiti should have a functioning government? Because somebody's got to make all the rules, and and 
and then now we're talking about uh, elections. How 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 would you formulate that as the situation stands right now? How can you how can you you know have elections that people will trust the, the, the electors and the people who are running for office and there will be no corruption? You know, it's a question that many countries ask, but especially Haiti, where there's no function in government at all. So as far as elections and getting people elected, how would you handle that? Well, once again, um, thank you. It's a good question. So my 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 philosophy is this, uh, and that is nothing new. Uh, change is the only thing that is consistent in life. Whether it's very good today, there's a possibility that it might change uh, to better or worse. So change is imperative. There will be change. Haiti was never was not what it is today, and guaranteed that in 20, 50 years it would will not be what it is today. It will ha- it has to change. It's imperative. It's a natural natural. So with that said, um, for any man uh, of the Western civilization, election is the only way uh, to 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 uh, democracy. So we, Haiti, will have election, should have election. Well, as you said, it goes back to the the same question again: How do you quell or deal with corruption? Because that's all we know. That's all I know uh, in Haiti. So basically, uh, the people eventually have to do uh, the decision to elect someone. And that person, how do you know that person is well uh, grounded to make decision, to change, to make bring about change? I think, and another thing they don't have in 80s is, is, is uh, that before people get elected, they don't really know them. We're talking about a place that's so, that the, 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 I don't think it's the poverty, I think it's the education. That is a, a little bit, um, you know, and hold that thought right there, Dr. Jude. We've got to take a short break here. We've got to take our first look at the traffic and weather. I'll let you respond about the elections in Haiti when we get back. Folks, we're discussing Haiti, the first black free nation in this country, and it's got plagued with a lot of problems ever since they got their independence from France. We're going to talk about that, too, because they had to pay France reparations. Check that out. 800-450-7876. You want to join this conversation with Dr. Jude Azad? Reach out to us, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes at 14 after the top. They are right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And if you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Jude Azad. We get us an update on what's going on in Haiti. The only times we hear about Haiti was something dramatic happens. Actually, what's going on there is chaotic. There's no ruling government. It's not, you know, it's, it's just chaos. And you hate to say it, but that's that's what it is. And the question before we left for the traffic and weather update, I asked Dr. Azad was, if what they need first is, is to have some sort of elections, you need to have a governing uh, body to, to take care of, of whether it be the police, the schools, the, you know, it's, it's just chaos that's going on right there. So, uh, uh, doctors, I'll, I'll let you finish telling us how can we get to that point where we, we're going to have some free and fair elections in Haiti? Well, thank you. Thanks again for the question. Uh, yeah. So in order to get to that, to the point of talking election, uh, the well once again the, the 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 only problem with that though is that Haiti is 
been brought to a condition, to a situation where it, it can hardly take care of itself. So, not that there is no money in the country, because there is a diaspora that is very powerful uh, sending money. There was no diaspora sending money in Haiti to Haiti, to Haitian national in Haiti. It would have been worse, because with a place with not much work and people cannot function, it's difficult. With that said, if the diaspora was given a position, a place uh, uh, to actually fully uh, participate in the in the, in the um, this political decision of the country, the future of the country, made it a lot easier. So that is not the case right now. Um, but in order for for any uh, serious and meaningful election to happen, there must be money. And to me, the the diaspora should be partake in that and fully uh, involved in this because we. People of the diaspora are the ones suffering also because it depends on us. Uh, the economy de- depends on Haiti right now, on, on the diaspora right now. So, yes, the, for, to, to um, respond uh, to the question, the people of Haiti should make the decision uh, whether who they want. But now, who they vote is a different ballgame because there is nobody on the, on the, on the terrain, if you, want, if you will, nobody on the, on the field. Uh, of politics right now, because most people that is uh, currently uh, calling themselves Asian politicians or corrupted people, they are either under investigation or being censured by the by other government around the world. How do you put those people to to discuss on the table with someone they know to be a criminal? So that's that is again that's the problem. I don't want to be focusing more on the problem than the solution that we should we can have. Uh, but those are serious and legitimate questions that one should have in order to get there. So I'm trying to navigate towards the, uh, uh, how the pe- we'll, we'll give the people a, a, free, a free election uh, and tell them, listen, whoever you choose is what we're going to uh, put there to help you. Now, with no education, there should be educa- some sort of education uh, a campaign before any election in Haiti. But yeah, election is the only way uh, to bring about change in the country. Again, it has to start with security. They gotta, we got to get rid of those guys, of those um, uh, gangs. It's a gang-controlled capital. Uh, we're going to have elections somewhere else in the country? Maybe. Uh, are, are they able to travel to those areas to uh, you know, uh, manipulate the election? Because if people cannot stand in line to vote, and you know, how do they elect someone? Those are legitimate questions that we sh- we should have, um, you know, uh, put on the table before going anywhere. Uh, right, I got a tweet question that. for you, uh, Doctor. So out of 20, uh, 25 minutes after the top, of the hour, tweeter wants to know if there's oil in in Haiti, and and I'll jump on that as well. If if would that would that be more of a problem if 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 there is oil discovered in Haiti? But the tweeter wants to know if there is any as oil being discovered in Haiti. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The 
McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Well, there, there, there is a lot of speculation as uh, that Haiti has as um, uh, natural resources. Yes, and 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 that that is it's almost uh, every corner that you go, and, and and people are asking, okay, now now that we cannot control Haiti, uh, it's called gang controlled, and most places. And then if you ask someone in even living in Haiti, they'll tell you. Most places, why is it people cannot function at night? Uh, is, it, is, is there something, I mean, all these people that we thought once were um, just, you know, people being paid to uh, giving guns to, to uh, uh, somewhat disturb public peace? Are they, is it more than just gang? Is it more than just gang? Are they being served as security? while someone else is extracting uh, public I mean, resources of Haiti. There is a lot of speculation about that, because since people cannot function at night and people are going to have ideas as to what's happening outside right now, I, I wish I, I knew. You see, so, uh, but then again, since I was a boy, it's, it's been questioned that Haiti has, I tell you, I told you a story that about my, my, my dad's town, where my dad was born, uh, when I go there on vacation in summers, he had a house built for us there. We used to go there. When we go there, it's uh, it was uh, uh, around summer where it's very hot. There was an empty empty land where it would caught on fire, uh, fire out of nowhere. Um, so that suggests that there is some, but it was never exploited. It, I'm not sure if it is as we speak. Uh, certainly not by Haitian, but there was certain there, so, so something there. And um, the last time someone tried, at least, to um, uh, validate these ideas or exploit and go further with the exploration of Haitian natural resources, and that, again, that was under the president of Haiti, uh, 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 Mr. Jean-Bertrand Aristide. So under his administration, he had some. Um, he had. He was going to that direction, but that too uh, died when he was overthrown in 2004. Uh, so, and then again, the person, the people, uh, gentlemen that were who led that movement, actually died mis- um, mysteriously within the car accident. So uh, again, come the confirmation to whether Haiti has that or not, there's a lot of speculation. And one should just, one can only believe or make a cross product in our mind as to why is Haiti the way it is while there are so many, so much, so many speculation. One thing that actually keep me, uh, keep my mind busy is the uh, uh, questions of our of our friends of people of, of you know modern day politicians whether in Haiti or anywhere in the world that that are you know human rights activists human rights um, people that believe in human rights uh, so much and for that to happen right here in the backyard of the of the biggest democ- democracy in the world. And for all these things to happen right there, uh, one just to have to ask why. Is there something bigger or something that more question, that bring more question than answers? 
Yeah, that's so true. 30 minutes after the top of the hour. And thank you, Lisa, for that question about oil. 800-450-7876. Speak to Dr. Judah Zod. At line three, Charles is calling us from Baltimore. Charles, good morning. You're on with Dr. Zod. Okay, it looks like we've lost Charles. But I, I want to ask you about the Dominican Republic, uh, Dr. Zod. What's going on with the situation with the Dominican Republic? Because we know you share an island of Hispaniola together. And let's straight up be frank. The, the DR is not known to be, it's sort of color conscious, if you will. And I, I know there's been a lot of talk about discrimination between the, the, the brothers, uh, the, our darker skinned brothers from, uh, from Haiti and uh, the, the, the so-called color conscious folks. And not all of them, though, in, in the DR. What's going on there? Well, the DR has always been uh, the... <laughs> The how would I say that the 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 unknown uh, guy and the dog that sits behind the door and look and and see wherever whenever you're doing good uh, for them to do something to somewhat disturb uh, the peace of the hate of Haiti. That's the way I see them, and I'm not alone in that case. Uh, that and again. And that's not new. Uh, we know what's happened on October second, nineteen thirty-seven, um, with the with the uh, killing of uh, at least fifty thousand Haitians. If you go on and research, basically the, you will see it was more than twenty thousand Haitians that were slaughtered at, at, at that during that period of ten days. But but if you ask people that actually lived the the moment, they'll tell you no, no way. Uh, it could be only that because people were, some people were running, crossing the border, and they were killing them. They were shooting them. And, 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 they were, and doctors, uh, let me interrupt and ask you, for those of us who don't know what happened today, what, what started all of that? Well, again, that goes to social cleansing. Uh, his Toilio, Rafael Toilio uh, idea uh, to do social cleansing, and it never stopped. Since then, it never stopped. It's always been like that. And that's the reason they never give Haitian uh, living in the Dominican Republic, whether they were born there or come, living legally, spending money in the country, they never give them uh, uh, naturalization or uh, a good path to living peacefully because any citizen can kill a Haitian in the Dominican Republic. And the reason is for social cleansing. They don't want to see Haitian uh, prosper and, and not only in Haiti but also in Dominican Republic in their own land, uh, and the own side of the land, I should say. Uh, and, and let me say this: at one time they closed the border. If they reopened it, well, they they did. They did open in, in that case for themselves after making it full of themselves. Uh, 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 but the Haitian side have never was never uh, opened. So. What happened is, I believe, and, and not just me, uh, some people in Haiti who have ties with Dominican government, influenced by them, uh, were went to the border and unlocked the Haitian side. Of course, it was like back, but they were, they did open it, and and that's followed by uh, Haitian trying to extricate a, 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 a part of the massacre river, the same river that we're talking about, that killing was done. Uh, to bring water into the Haitian land for irrigation. So that guy and the current Dominican president was so mad 
that he um, closed borders and, and cut tie with Haiti for about you know good amount of time. Uh, right. And hold that thought right there, because we got we got to take a short break. We're coming up on the traffic and weather, and I just got a tweet, tweet, and I got to read this tweet for you. And we, yeah, I'll let you think about this or during, during the break, and we got some people want to talk to you. The tweeter says, why in the United States providing support to Haiti like they do to other countries? And we know how many they, how much money in billions some of, some of countries get, or our taxpayers' money, but nothing goes to Haiti. We'll check on that, too, when we come back. And we've got some people want to talk to you as well, Dr. Azad. Folks, you want to join this conversation about Haiti with Dr. Judith Azard, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here after the news, traffic, and weather update in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 19 minutes away from the top of the hour with the Haitian activist, Dr. Jude Azad, giving us an update of what's going on in the island. Now, a lot of times we, you know, this, we only hear when something, you know, outrageous happens and then the, the spotlight moves off and the, still the brothers and sisters on the continent in, on, in Haiti, I should say, are still struggling. And th- let me just say this straight up. There's no difference from between us and our Haitian brothers and sisters. Our ancestors all made the same trip which some of us, some of our ancestors were on different ships, but it was still the same trip and they made different stops. And that's the difference between we today and, and, um, and Jude from Haiti. That's all, that's all the difference, right? Or a brother from Panama or, or Trinidad or, or Guyana. It's, it's the same trip, but it was on a different ship. So we got to keep that in mind. You could have, you could have been in Haiti right now or, or Panama. You could be a Panamanian. That's, that's what uh, Afrocentricism is all about. That's what they teach us, and this is what they, they don't want you to know. But as I mentioned, though, before we go back to let me get off my soapbox here for a minute and tell you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with a, a constitutional defense attorney, criminal defense attorney, A. Dwight Petty. Uh, we're going to talk about the charges that Donald Trump is facing. He's going to break them down for us. And prior to that, the Faith Brothers are going to be here. We're going to speak, talk a bit about religion with the Faith Brothers. But Dr. Val Crowder will join us next. Uh, Dr. V. is going to says there's a, a cure for sickle cell anemia. So we got to make sure we check in with Dr. V coming up. And tomorrow, financial advisor J.B. Bryant will be here. Also, the master teacher himself, Ashra Kwesi, will be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio is locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Uh, as I mentioned, we went to Charles. Let's see if Charles is ready for us now on, on line three. He's in Baltimore. Good morning, Charles. Yes. How are you doing? Can you hear me? Sure. Okay, great, great. Um, I wanted to know um, the history of Dominican Republic and Haiti. What actually came first? Is it the same island? And what divided it? Because we need some context. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Charles. Good question. Dr. Azad? Well, the, the, uh, in order to get, understand, to get good understanding of that, um, of that question, thank you for your question, Charles. Uh, well, one first need to understand that the island was first controlled by the Spaniard, right? The Spanish. When Christopher Columbus came over, it was not, there were no black in there. It was mostly, when they call, what they come with was Spanish. Because uh, not only he was Italian, but he, was, he also made a deal with the, with the uh, uh, Spain uh, government then, Queen, duh. Uh, then 
that part it was mainly uh, 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 Spaniard. That the hate the black people started to arrive after the Indians were killed due to forced labor, and also the Spaniard laziness and not able to keep up with the hard work. So therefore, the uh, uh, there was a need for stronger arm, and the slaves started to arrive. Now, you understand, you can see clearly how it's happening. So then there was always a conflict. There was a conflict. The conflict was always there between the French side, which is the West, uh, and on or and the Spaniard, the Spanish on, which is which always been the East side. So there was always a fight. By the way, the side, the river that we call the Massacre River, is named after a massacre that happened between the Spanish and the French. Uh, not Haitian then. So yes. Did we control the land at, at some point? Yes, in 1825, during that period of time, under President Boyer, Haiti was only one land under one president, uh, and that was the only time it was only one land. Then again, subsequently, uh, they're gonna, the Dominican Republic gonna create gonna be created after the independence. Uh, so. But what's important in this part of the story is this: there is an ignorance, and 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 that part of the island has always been there. The anti-Haitianism is always uh, is always the red meat for the for a Dominican Republic. Someone who want to be president to show anti-Haitianism was always a good thing to do in order to uh, get into power. So it's understandable. Uh, it's it's very uh, sad. It is the way it is because human being is human being and we share the land. Although we occupy the whole land and they were under our occupation at some point, and they are far from forgetting this. But the anti-Haitianism, is what really the forefront of all this uh, killing, whether it was in 1937, whether it's today uh, stopping Haitians from getting some water to uh, to irrigate our own land because the Dominican economy rely on Haiti to survive because we buy 60% of the food. So we can understand, but one Haiti understand its capacity, and with all that money spent in Dominican Republic, and we can reverse that by cultivating our own land, which the president, the current president of Dominican Republic, understand, and is standing on the way. Not only for that, but they've been on the on the way of Haiti's progress forever. Uh, they have not been a good friend. They have not been even a partner. There have been enemies, uh, and Haiti not having an army is not helping in the case. I'm not saying that one should just pick up gun and go fight. No. But there is a difference when there is a father in the house. 
uh, whereas you have a family without a dad. There is more respect when all parents are present. And the army, the Haitian army, is the army that actually led the independence of Haiti. Haiti needs its army. Not for fight, because there is no, you know, who's going to feed it with guns? No. But at least it's an emblem of freedom in the area. So it should therefore exist. All right. Uh, 12 away from the top there. I'll just keep rolling. Mark in Baltimore has a question or a comment for his online, too. Good morning, Mark. You're on with Dr. Azul. Hey. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for this conversation. Um, you, you were saying that the Dominican Republicans, uh, depend on Haiti for the for for their, their their survival, but they're they're holding up the water. I, I you know I don't understand that. But um, Haiti in general, um, compared to to, to the United States, um, Haiti. I, I watched a commercial one time where they was you know showing the people. You say the money that go there don't go to the people where the people were eating mud pies, you know, and things like that. Um, is our biggest enemy, you know, right now with the chaos, is it ourself like it is here in, 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 in the United States, here in Baltimore? And what do you guys think about um, what is going on in our cities, the, the, the violence that we're perpetrating upon each other when we got places like Haiti and stuff like that? Where people, um, black people, are, are are so poor that they eat mud pies and stuff like that. What do you have to say to us in the city that's hating on each other and killing each other in in our cities right now, like in Baltimore? All right, thanks, Mark. Thanks for your question, Doctor Jude. Yes. Well, the I mean, it's always the the way I see. Uh, is the unity that needs to be, uh, we have to go back to our, our senses and understand that we are one, the world as it stands is one people, one nation. Um, there are division and people benefit from our division. When we divide, some people progress. And when we're united, they can't. Uh, the, the lies or and and division that's been uh, spread uh, come to reality, and therefore we can bring about that unity. So what we need to do, I believe, to bring uh, to is to keep education, 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 wherever we can do it, one at a time. If we can save one soul, we can save two. And I believe that by having by using what we have in our hand. Uh, we can't wait for a miracle to happen. We can't wait for when we have money, we're going to build a big, big, a big building and we're going to bring all the youngsters in there and here. And therefore, we're going to teach them how to love each other. I think it starts at home to not only love themselves, but also love their neighbors, love their friends, the, the family, the, the surrounding, how to make the life better. The only reason, personally, I was born in a, in a, in a city of Port-au-Prince, and, and usually they characterize people like the world born and where I, where I come from as, you know, people uh, that, you know, not necessarily uh, progress or related to gangs or, or like to fight. 
but that was that's not the case. It's it's how the surrounding, how the family does the job. I think it starts with family, and if family does a good job, there's a strong chance we're going to have a, a very serious society. Right. But we cannot forget that there is influence of people that don't like people like us, and we have to be mindful of that and teach our kids about it too, just like they teach their kids about us. All right, and let me jump in here because we're racing the clock eight minutes away from the top there. I had a conversation with Mark from Anaheim about Haiti, and he, he mentioned me to to tell you to uh, or to tell our listeners that you know Haiti was, got their independence from France, but they had to pay reparations to France. And he also said, and I had to check it out. He says that uh, Citibank bought the note from France from the French government, and Haiti's still paying, and but it's paying their money to Citibank. Can can you explain? Why, when Haiti got its independence, they, they, who broke the deal? They, they had to pay reparations. To, they had to pay for their freedom. And, and, and this is the, the residual effects of their freedom. That's why, you know, there's, there's a, it was a, an, a, an effect, what's affecting Haiti right now, why it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Can you explain why they had to pay that, that money to France and now the city? And I looked it up, folks, and you can look it up, too, because when Mark told me, I was like, wait a minute. He says, yeah, Citibank now holds the note. But uh, uh, Dr. Jude Azad, what, how did they broke it? Is that the only way they, uh, Haiti could have gotten their independence? And I tell you, what, hold that well, thought right there, because because we're coming up on a break. I just, I just mentioned looking at the clock. I'll let you explain when we get back, though. Uh, seven minutes away from the top of the hour, our guest is Dr. Jude Azad from Haiti. He's giving us an update on one of the situation that's gone in Haiti. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. I mentioned we got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes with his response right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL or information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, that Dr. Judah Zart from Haiti is giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. Dr. V, Dr. Val Crowder is on deck. We got to get to her momentarily, but let's finish up with with uh, Dr. Judah Zart. Uh, uh, Dr. Zart, before we left for the traffic and weather update, I ask you to give us the short version, if you will, how Haiti got, had to pay, came to pay reparations for their freedom, and they're still paying it now. Right. Well, well, it all started uh, after Haiti took its, its independence, you know. And the jealousy, um, the independence of Haiti, um, the hardly, I'd say, was jealously, jealously subguarded. So anyway, uh, to to prove that that black people could not uh, 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 keep up with or lead themselves, the French government imposed uh, indemnity or the pose some kind of sanction on Haiti. Uh, and at that time, I must say, at the time that they put, they, they put those sanctions on Haiti to be recognized as a state, it was 10 times the, the annual budget of Haiti at the time. And this is an amount that most people at the moment also thought was enormous. And at some point, a British journalist uh, uh, said that this constituted some which which few states in Europe could bear to sacrifice or pay, if you will. So yeah, it was well um, orchestrated for Haiti to be poor, and it was made to keep the black, the first black nation on its knee. That is to send a message to the other to other nations 
uh, black nations to tell them, don't take that road. Uh, don't take that road. Unfortunately, although they keep hate, Haiti was kept on his and keep on his on his name, uh, black people around the world took, took note. And as a matter of fact, we actually celebrated our first first black president uh, not long ago. So yes, because of Haiti's uh, uh, movement uh, to take to quest for freedom and the state of freedom. Black people around right. the world to note, and and yes. Uh, yeah. Let me just re- remind folks before I let you go, doc, Dr. Drew, there ain't no difference between us, the Haitians, the Panamanians, or, or the, uh, uh, blacks in Brazil. You know, our ancestors all made the same trip, but we came on different ships, or our ships stopped at different ports. And many of us now speaking could be, be so-called Haitian or so-called Cuban or, or South American. And this is what this is, and this is what the nearly fuller tale tells us about. Europeans they stay on code when it comes to us. They don't care where, where we say we're from. But, but this is another issue too for the non-voters. Let me just say this for the people who don't believe in voting. We send all our money to Ukraine and to Israel. We've got one Israeli that's got probably richer than all the Haitians put together. Just one of them owns the Miami Heat and Carnival Cruise Lines. You know, these guys are filthy rich. But yet your money, your money, money you work for is going over to Israel and to uh, Ukraine, but not to Haiti. Why not? That's why you vote. So any of those non-voters are telling you, well, I don't vote because you're looking at the small game. These 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 folks, they look at the long game. And that's why they that's why they stay dominant and they don't care if it's hate if you're Haitian or you're from Chicago, they're gonna try and keep you down. That's how the game is played, family, and you gotta recognize that. But anyway, Dr. Jude, we gotta run because Dr. V's on deck. She's got some exciting news for us. D- uh, Dr. Jude, uh please stay keep us in the loop. Anything happens in Haiti, please let us know. And if anything we can do to help you, please uh, also let us know. And how can folks reach you if they want to reach you? Well, again, uh, my brother, thank you so much again for having me. Thanks again for everything that you do, bringing the light on Haiti. Yes, if, they, if, if someone want to reach me, they can always reach you, uh, and, and that will be found from you. And that's the first thing. <laughs> and, and I'm on Facebook, Judah Zard, Dr. Judah Zard. And um, I guess uh, uh, through those channels, I can be reached. Uh, but then again, thanks again for for. for keeping the light on there because no one is paying attention to Haiti. Uh, but you are, uh, and, and, and we have brothers like you that do. And I like the idea you said that it's just a boot stop. We have more commonalities. That's the human experience. We have more commonalities than we have differences. But unfortunately, uh, division uh, focuses more on, on what we don't have than what we have. Right. We should cherish each other more. Yeah, that's right. And thank you for, for those kind words, Dr. Juby. Uh, thank you. And, and just keep us in the loop what's going on in Haiti, because uh, I mentioned we're, they try to divide us because, you know, they, they understand. Once you understand, that, that's why when, when people are talking about black unity, that's why they try to take them out. I won't go with that this road because I want to get to Dr. V. But thank you, uh, Dr. Juby, and thank you for always giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Uh, five after the top of the hour. Good morning, Dr. V. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing excellent. It's been a minute, but uh, you got some news about sickle cell anemia. Fill us in. Yeah, yeah we've got some. There is a breakthrough gene therapy that is going to be a game changer for folks with sickle cell anemia um, and make a tremendous difference in their lives. Um, we're able now to kind of go from, from people actually having a decreased life expectancy and having pain crises to... Um, basically almost having no symptoms at all. 
right, let's start up first. How many people do you know have sickle cell anemia? And is it just is is, it, is this the sickle cell anemia just problems with uh, people with African descent? We talked. We just talked with Haiti and just trying to explain to our audience that we're all one. You know, is, is, is it does it affect just people of black folks across the continent, across the world? I should say. Yeah, so so about 4 million people have sickle cell anemia in the world, and about 115,000 people or so die every year of sickle cell anemia, right? And so, and basically, it's a single chromosome defect. Um, it's a single mutation, right? So this gene therapy actually allows for that, for, your, for you to use your own stem cells, your own stem cells, and have that gene cut out and replaced with a corrective mutation, and then you can grow your own normal normal cells in your body, right? So that's like the lowdown of how it actually works. It actually recently um, passed FDA uh, safety passed FDA safety advisory committee right around Thanksgiving, which is why I reached out to you because once it passed that advisory committee, um, it'll be on the market probably within the next six months. This is something that they've been working on since 2001. So the first study was done in mice in 2001. Then they started human trials in 2014. Um, in 2017, we had the first patient that was um, had no symptoms from sickle cell anemia for two years, and this was somebody who normally had symptoms about five or six times a year. So that's kind of the lowdown of actually what it is, people still have the opportunity, I believe, to join clinical trials, but I think pretty soon they'll actually have the ability to actually get the actual therapy. All right. Eight after the top of the hour. Uh, Dr. V, how do you get sickle cell? I mean, is something that you're born with? Born with uh, is, is it an airborne disease? Can you give us some background on that? And, and how do you know if you have it as well? Yeah. So, so it, is something that you're, it is something that you're born with. Um, usually it is, um, usually it is a, um, uh, a, a mother and a father who may both have the trait or someone who has sickle cell disease who mates with somebody who has the trait. Um, usually you start to get symptoms right around the time, you know, you, you get the symptoms when you're a child. So um, folks are diagnosed, you know, usually before one year of age. So, um, you know, you'll see this, you know, people are newly diagnosed as a child. Um, so usually by the time you're an adult, you actually know if you have sickle cell disease. You may not know if you have the trait. Right. And so that's that's um, and usually it'll come with pain. Um, you'll get your blood test checked. You'll be anemic. Your hemoglobin will be low. Um, some kids even I've had kids who've had heart attacks and strokes as children related to sickle cell anemia. So you, you get a combination of different symptoms depending upon how it's actually um, how it's actually portrayed in your body. But most folks are diagnosed before the age of one. So what would people before now? You says there's a there's a cure on the horizon. What do people do before this? What are people doing right now? Um, so the treatment for sickle cell, you know, disease is more um, pain control, um, avoiding things that actually cause people to go into crisis, like dehydration, stress, high altitude, um, folic acid. It's mainly supportive care. There's not there's there's not there's not much that we're doing with sickle cell anemia right now to actually change the trajectory of the disease, right? And that's why this is such a game changer. Because right now, all we're doing is really 
supportive care to kind of get someone through a particular crisis, but we're not changing the trajectory of the disease. This is the first therapy that we've had that can actually change the trajectory of the disease. And and I got to ask you this question: Why does it seems that it, it it seems like it only affects blacks globally? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so okay. So, if you have a sickle cell trait, right? Um, it's actually a competitive advantage. So, the sickle cell trait makes you less likely to die from malaria. So, the malaria. So, when so a lot of this has come from areas that ha- that where where there was a lot of malaria, like West Africa, et cetera, right? So the malaria parasite has a long life cycle, but part of the life cycle for the malaria parasite is that it replicates inside your red blood cells. So if you have a sickle cell trait, the malaria parasite cannot replicate inside your red blood cells. So you're less likely to die from malaria. So it was an advantage to have the sickle cell trait. It's just that once you have the sickle cell trait. If you marry someone else who has a sickle cell trait and you have, a, you have children, you're about 25% likely to have a child with sickle cell anemia. So as we eradicate malaria, we will also see the eventual eradication, I think, of sickle cell disease. So let me ask you this. Is it fair to say it started on the continent and then we, when we spread out or when they took us out all, all over the world, it, that's how it spread? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes, genetically. It's spread genetically. Not, In other words, it's not an airborne disease, right? So as you brought people out of malaria areas, you know, the, the areas where there's a high incidence of malaria is not only Africa, but there's also some Asian areas with high incidence of malaria. So any malaria-affected areas, as those people migrated, so did the gene. Okay, and I'm going to ask you this because, you know, there's a, a lot of works going on in genomics. So they, they have it, the gene splicing and doing all that kind of stuff. How come they haven't figured out a way how to, how to get the, the, the gene that causes sickle cell? I mean, how come they haven't found a way to eradicate it through, through these new um, modern uh, techniques that they're using? And I'll let you, I'm looking at the clock. We've got to take a quick break here. I'll let you respond to that when we get back. Folks, if you know somebody's got sickle cell, if you've got sickle cell, this is great news for you. If you've got questions about it, reach out to us at 800. 800- 450-7876. Speak to Dr. V. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. 
And good morning again, family. 19 minutes after the top of the hour, Dr. Val Crowder. Dr. V is telling us some exciting news about sickle cell anemia. By the way, Dr. V is the chair of the Health Committee for Black Women for Positive Change. And she's here this morning telling us about sickle cell. Some great news. You probably know someone who's got sickle cell who has the sickle cell trait. So, Dr. V, I was asking you about the folks who, who practice eugenics and gene splicing and all this kind of stuff. How come they didn't come up with, with this? What took them so long? Well, 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 this is what they came up with. Um, and, and like I said, they, so, so this, the technology is called the CRISPR technology. It's C-R-I-S-P-R, no E, right? And it's basically a gene editing technology, right? And they started, like I said, in 2001, and they successfully mutated the red blood cells in mice. And then what they've been doing since then is actually doing human trials. So they've done human trials now um, starting in 2014. So basically for the last nine years. So this is taking your own stem cells and genetically editing it. So this is gene editing, right? And it is actually cutting out the, the part of the mutation on the chromosome 11 that is has the uh, the 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 molecule that causes the red blood cells to sickle takes that out and then puts the correct genetic material in and puts it back into your body, your own stem cells back into your body so that then you can reproduce regular hemoglobin that doesn't sickle. All right, we got some folks who want to talk to you, Dr. V. 800-450-7876. Sarah's up first. She's calling from Silver Spring in Maryland on line one. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Yes. Okay. Yes, I was concerned why it took so long for us to identify a way to cure sickle cell. Because I've done research in, in other areas like cancer, and there's a doctor down at Morehouse who actually has found the cure for cancer using mice. However, she has not been able to get the funding in order to make this known to the public. She's got some funding. So I was wondering if the delay was due to the fact that most people with sickle cell are black, and could it be racism that has taken so long for us to invest for this cure? Thanks, Eric. So, so yeah, so, so, so good question. Um, I, um, you know, you know, I, you know, Race and politics always are involved whenever you're talking about research funding, right? So certain certain institutions, uh, certain areas get funded and other areas do not. So I, the politics of that um, and, uh, you know, all that's involved with that is a little bit outside my, my purview. However, um, I can say this is that in order to really cure sickle cell disease, you really did have to map out the, you know, the entire, the chromosomes, right? So, you know, when you talk about DNA mapping, uh, you know, which has been used even to solve crimes, right? DNA mapping is something that has, you know, is something that has occurred in the last 20 years, right? So you really had to really map out the entire DNA and then figure out a way to actually manipulate it so that you can actually get the change that you need for sickle cell anemia. So I can't speak to um, the funding, but I do know the DNA mapping was required in order to really um, deal with this disease. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for your question. 23 at the top of the hour. GC is calling from the DMV on line two. Good morning, GC. You're on with Dr. V. 
Good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning. Real quick, uh, when I was uh, in the military, I was uh, uh, on deck to deploy. I guess when I got back, uh, I looked at my medical records uh, while I were on the, the examiner's desk, and I seen that it had uh, G6PD deficiency on the on my records. So I asked about it. So oh, you got to you know you got to use a red dog tag because you know. Uh, you got to be careful about the types of malaria pills that, you know, if you have to take them, you know. The Terra is the IT. What they need to know. So, uh, so uh, they couldn't really tell me about it. I had I did some research, and I've seen that it was related to sickle cell, but I don't have sickle cell in England. So would this be, I guess, would that, would people who don't know unless they have an episode, is that, uh, a way of testing to find out, and uh, uh, that's just that's my question. Okay, so G6PD deficiency is uh, uh, significantly different from sickle cell anemia. Okay, so G6PD deficiency means that you don't have that enzyme. So the enzyme is G6-phosphate dehydrogenase. And that is the enzyme that is missing in the in in the blood. So so G6PD deficiency is not a genetic deficiency; it's a deficiency where you're missing a particular enzyme. And because you're missing this particular enzyme, you can there are things that can cause you, like eating fava beans, can cause you to go into a hemolytic anemia, where you actually get an anemia where that it look may. You may think, "Do I have sickle cell anemia?" But it's not. It's, it's a completely different. Um, it's a completely different disease. Um, and, but basically, the, the red blood cells do break down faster than your body can make them when you get uh, in, in in contact with something that initiates it. Have you ever had an episode of anemia? I think he hung up, Doctor oh, V. Okay, yeah. so uh, about uh, so about ten percent of African American men in the United States have G six G six PD deficiency. So a lot of people have this and don't know they have it, which, like I said, is is also um, very common from the Africa, Asia, Mediterranean area, and it can cause anemia. And a lot of people, and the military would be the sort of place where they would do that sort of testing, and you would find out about it. All right. Help us out here at 26 after the top of the hour. You mentioned the, the trait and the disease itself. What is the trait, and how do you know if you have the trait? Um, well, most people who have the trait uh, wouldn't really know they have the trait unless until they— now, some people find out they have the trait when they get married because in certain states they require testing for the trait uh, when you get a marriage license. So— some states require you to actually get tested, and some people find out they have the trait when they're going to get married. Um, and the purpose of that was mainly so that people know and they realize that two people both have the trait and they're going to get married. They have a 25% likelihood of that child having sickle cell anemia. So most people who have the trait don't really know it. But, but again, what is the trait? Oh, what is the trait? Okay, so so... So when you so sickle cell disease is a recessive disease, okay? So you have to actually have two uh, alleles or two two areas of your two two your DNA is double stranded, right? So if it's on one DNA strand and not on the other, you have the trait. If it's on both DNA strands, you have the disease. 
Gotcha. And so you mentioned some states do that, do the blood testing, but do you think the folks, our folks, because it mainly affects our folks, should get a, a test if, if we're getting married, if we've been thinking about having children? Should we get, do the oh, blood yeah. test? Yeah, you should absolutely. I, I, I tell people, if you're, if you're getting married and you're in a state where it doesn't require it, I would get it to make sure that you you know, right, and you know what the possibilities are. Well, it's good to know. And how is this information being received? Because, you know, until you told me about it, I've never heard of it, that it would, they had, you know, found, found a cure for sickle cell. So how's well, it being received? So, call. that's why I called you, because I want us and our people to be the first to know, right? <laughs> right? And so, yeah, so it... So that's why it, it passed, you know, all the science, all the, you know, I'm always, you know, reading the science literature about various things. So it came out in the science literature, um, uh, like I said, right around Thanksgiving. And that is when it passed the FDA Cellular Tissue and Gene Therapy Advisory Committee. And so um, that happened around, you know, like I said, the beginning of November. I think it passed another hurdle right around Thanksgiving. Um, and I thought moving with more steam, and it looks like you know I think that this will be on. I, I think this will be more widely available next year. And I wanted to make sure that your audience knows about it, so they know they can go into their doctor's office and ask for these things. And what do you ask for? Is is it is it is there a brand name, a generic name, or what do you ask for? Yeah. So what you're asking for is you're asking for the CRISPR technology or XXXL. And then it's also another tech, another one called Vertex. And those are the two. If you just say, you know, I want to know what are my gene therapy uh, options for sickle cell anemia, then you can sit down and talk with your doctor and find out, do you qualify? What are the pros and cons of it? You can sort of see, you know, is this something that would make sense for you? Well, I got to ask you this question at 30 minutes after the top. Yeah. When you take a blood test, is it mandatory for them to check for sickle cell or, you know, because I've, I've done several blood tests. I, I guess I don't have it, but I didn't ask for it. But is it mandatory for the for the doctors or for the people who are taking the test or giving you the test to, to ask to test for sickle cell? No, it is not. No, it is. No, no, it is not. It, so what happens is we test for sickle cell when somebody comes in, use your child. It's coming in with pain. We notice that they have anemia. Then we test for sickle cell. So we test when people have the symptoms. We don't just, the only testing that is done universally are states that require it for a marriage license. And, and explain anemia for us. Because if, if for the layperson, what does that mean? How do we know if we have anemia? Anemia is when, you're, uh, when, you're blood, when your hemoglobin and hematocrit, your blood count is low. So people get tired, they need a blood transfusion, that sort of thing. That's anemia when your blood count is low. Right. And you mentioned that it, it's mostly impacting people of black people or people of African descent or maybe some Asians or, 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 or I guess Arabs or some people of darker skin color. It, it, how, did, how did that, you mentioned earlier that it came about because of the, the uh, malaria issue. But what mm-hmm. if, how, so if in a European lived in, in the, in the, on the continent, could they have a, uh, or could, could they have a sickle cell anemia? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, um, no, not no, not really. So if someone from Europe moved to Africa, um, see, what happens is when um, if you if you think back to like Darwinism, right, Darwinism talks about what sort of things do I over generations develop such that I'm a stronger animal or stronger human being. Right. So over generations, this sickle cell trait was developed. And it was protective, and it made you more likely to survive a malaria attack. So someone who is European who comes down to Africa is more likely to get malaria and die. Now, if he stayed, if that person stayed over generations, they could potentially actually then develop the sickle cell trait. But it, it's a generational thing. This is how our genes mutate over hundreds of years. All right, we come up a break. When we come back, uh, help us out here. If you have, you have sickle cell, and you get married to a person that does not have sickle cell, do, would you pass on the gene to, to their children, or would you pass on the gene to them? Uh, how does it work for Europeans? Do, do Europeans have some sort of a, a, a gene that blocks them from getting sickle cell? I want to answer all those questions, because you know we've got a lot of interracial marriages uh, these days. And I, I, and like you said, do some states, not all states, uh, check do the blood check to see if you have sickle cell. I just want to figure out if, if, if it affects everybody across the board, or, or it's just us. So I'll let you respond to that when we get back. We've got to take a quick break here, okay. check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation with, with Dr. V, call up a couple of your friends if you know they've got sickle cell and tell them that we've, there's a cure. And Dr. V is explaining to us right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Uh, 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Val Crowder, Dr. V. Dr. V is telling us some exciting news about uh, sickle cell anemia and the trait. So, uh, Dr. V, I, do you remember the question I asked you before when I've been on the phone? Just, yes, <laughs> we're asking, you know, what happens if, if two people get together that have the trait or if someone gets together and one person has the trait? That's that's what that was your that was your question. Right. And you're talking Correct. about if they. To marry and have children, right? Right. So, okay. All right. So, if two people get married and they have and eat, and both people have the sickle cell trait, there's twenty five percent chance that their child is going to have sickle cell anemia, right? And there'll be a fifty percent chance that their child will have a sickle cell trait, and it'll be twenty five percent chance that the child will have neither the sickle cell trait nor sickle cell anemia. If two people marry that actually have both have the trait and usually they don't know it right let's say they're from a state where they don't necessarily get that test and they don't actually know in a lot of states you can request it you can ask when you get married but some states actually require it now if you have so if you have if you have two people that get married and one person has a trait and the other person does not have the trait you, you will not have a child with sickle cell anemia. You'll just have 50% of your children. It'll be a 50% chance that your children will have 
the trait, but no one will have sickle cell anemia. So you really, it really has to be two people that actually marry that either unknowingly have the trait or one person ha- actually has sickle cell anemia. Right. I'll get into that because I got a tweet question about, you know, especially our young people are hooking up and they probably don't ask those questions. 19 away from the top there. Before we do that, though, let's go to Charles III. He's calling. He's on line three. He's calling from the district. Good morning, Charles. Is Charles there on line three? All right, Charles, hang on. Don't hang up yet because... We'll get to you in a moment. We'll get back to your question. But here's, here's a tweet question for you, Dr. V. Since young people can have sickle cells, should they take the test in high school since they might not they might have out-of-wedlock children? What should young folks who are sexually active do? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, one thing you can do is you can always um, – as, a, as, as you can go to your pediatrician and ask for your child when they're younger to get screened for sickle cell trait. Um, you can also screen yourself for sickle cell trait. So, um, you know, obviously, if you don't have a sickle cell trait and your husband doesn't have a sickle cell trait, then there's zero chance your child is going to have a sickle cell trait. So, so one thing is know yourself. And then have your, you can have your kids screened at a younger age and check for sickle cell trait. Yeah, and that begs another question, though. You know, if 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 people would you hook up with somebody who's who's got sickle cell? Would you get married and thinking that you may bring children in this world that, that have sickle cell or sickle cell trait? I guess now, with the, the, the we found a cure, and uh, we they found a cure. That shouldn't be an issue, right? You know, you know what? Even well, even before this, I mean, there were there were there were people who had sickle cell anemia who get married and have children. But they have to be even more careful that they're not with someone who has a sickle cell trait. Right. All right. Let's see if we can get Charles back now at uh, 17 away from the top there on line three. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Oh, there he is. Go ahead, Charles. Can you hear me, brother? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, Hey, I want to take it back to the drug because I think – that's more important, this CRISPR drug, which we, we need to uh, make sure we have all of our information. We can't operate on partial information. So this CRISPR ju- drug, which is gene editing, uh, there hasn't been a drug using the gene editing ever approved by the FDA up until this point. And actually, the FDA didn't comment on the safety and effectiveness of this. So, Carl, I think it is very premature for you and your distinguished guests to say there's a cure for sickle cell. What the FDA committee said and looked into was basically the off-target, saying basically, okay, how does this affect other areas of the DNA? So, no, this is not a cure for sickle cell we do not want to mislead our people. They have basically given the approval basically to say, okay, if it starts going into other areas of your DNA, how does it affect that? But they did not comment on the safety or the effectiveness of this drug. Let's be clear. And so let me, and here's why I bring that point up. I know your guests previously 
was talking and pushing and advocating the COVID vaccination. Now, we have this white lung disease, okay, which studies showed in 2003 when they had vaccinations for SARS-CoV-2, which first appeared, one of the biggest side effects was inflammation of the lungs, which is the white lung disease that's out there. So we have to make sure that this advocate doesn't get on here and, uh, and just push drugs on our people without giving the full story. That's all I have to say, Brother Carl. Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Charles. All right. Dr. V, you want to respond to anything that Charles said? Yeah. So let me let me respond to a couple of things. So first of all, this is not a drug. Okay. So I want to just be really, really clear with people. This is not a drug. This is not a pill. This is this is not this is tech, this is technology, right? So the CRISPR it's CRISPR gene editing technology, okay? And what this technology does is it operates almost like a pair of scissors, and it goes it uses your own stem cells and it genetically cuts out and edits this particular defect associated with sickle cell anemia, right? And then actually. It precisely targets it and then actually puts the um, modifies it and puts the new um, the new gene that, and the corrected gene back onto your DNA string. So this is not a drug. OK, this is. So, this so is, explain that a little bit for us. So how do they go in and, and make that uh, incision or, or how do they do that? Yeah. So basically what they do is they take your own stem cells out. Right. A, a sampling or a group, your stem cells. So stem cells are the things that actually every day you lose red blood cells and white blood cells. Every day, all of us do. Your stem cells is what reproduces um, your uh, red blood cells, white blood cells, et cetera, right? So if, for instance, you suddenly, let's say you were in a car accident and you bled a lot out at a in a car accident, then your stem cells would go into working overdrive and would produce more hemoglobin for you to get you back to where you were normally. So that's what your stem cells do, right? So this this gene editing, this CRISPR technology, actually targets the specific mutation, cuts that mutation out, and then puts the correct genetic material in, and then you your your those stem cells are then reintroduced to the patient. So I just want to just be really clear because I want people to realize this is not a drug. This is a gene editing system. Okay. So, um, and what the FDA did and with their meeting of their advisory committee um, on October 23rd is they actually determined that there was sufficient safety with this to actually move forward. Also, the drug companies had to actually, the pharmaceutical companies actually have to um, monitor patients for 15 years, right? And so they also set criteria of how long do you actually have to monitor patients. The human clinical trials have been going on since 2014, right? So currently we have uh, basically seven years of data as far as effectiveness um, and what this actual gene therapy um, has actually done. And this is a game changer. The results are a game changer. We've had nothing. We've had nothing to talk about uh, in the realm of sickle cell anemia now 
that would really offer people any type of hope. Now, again, this is not for everybody. You know, I tell people, you know, it is really important with any treatment, any medical treatment, that you consult your physician and you actually look at what's going on specifically with you and your case and what works for you given your symptoms and what's going on um, um, with other, even other conditions that you may have. All of these things, everything has side effects. Everything uh, is, is, you know, there's no magic bullet to anything, but this is a game changer for patients out there with sickle cell anemia that are suffering. All right, uh, 10 away from the top there. Elaine is up next. Elaine's on line one calling from Silver Spring. Good morning, Elaine. You're on with Dr. V. Oh, I think she hung up. All right. Uh, so, so Dr. V, going forward, uh, what else are they working on that you think that we should know about? Um, well, I mean, in the field of medicine completely? <laughs> well, anything to help our folks. Or, or specifically with sickle cell anemia. Yeah, sickle cell. Yeah, specifically with sickle cell um you know, this is, I think the other thing that is really going to make a difference for sickle cell is um, some of what's occurring with the eradication of malaria. It, we, I, I believe that we could see the eradication of malaria in the next uh, five to 10 years worldwide. And I think the eradication of malaria will also help with sickle cell anemia. Because there won't be that competitive advantage anymore of having the trait. Right. Ten away from the top of the hour. Dr. V, you're an emergency room doctor and also you're chair of the health committee for Black Women for Positive Change. Now that we know this information, what should we do about it? Is there a role for organizations, black media, businesses, churches, mosques that should get involved with this? Yeah. So, you know, you know, well, one is, you know, if anyone wants to... Um, uh, help out or, or provide any assistance with uh, Black Women for Positive Change with the health committee that I chair, please reach out to me on askdrv.us. Um, the main thing is, you know, information is power, as you always say. So, so you know, I tell people I think it's really important, and the purpose of me coming on this show talking about this is for people to actually begin talking about this in their communities, and then they can actually, it'll lead people to go in and have conversations with their physicians and ask questions about whether or not this is something that would actually be helpful for them. And I think you got to emphasize that it's not a drug because, you know, our people are very suspicious uh, all the way back from the experiments they did with us when we got here uh, to, you know, just recently. So I think that that will alleviate some of the uh, some of the, uh, uh, you know, concerns that some people have about this cure that you say is a cure for sickle cell. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like like I said, it, it's we haven't we've never had anything where we've actually been able to correct the underlying genetic defect of sickle cell anemia. We've never and and your caller was right about the fact that this will be the first gene editing, uh, the first treatment of humans using gene and a gene editing system. This will be the first treat. This will be the first treatment of that kind. Yeah, and and the question, because you know, until you told me, I, I never heard that this had had, had been done. And why do you, is, is I don't, oh, I don't want to say there's a blackout or, or a whiteout, if you will, or or, or just is keeping us quiet about this. Why don't you think that we know more about why has this been, you know, like breaking news? Yeah, you know, you know, I think that you know, well, you know, I think the news has us focused on a lot of things that don't really pertain to us, <laughs> right? 
And so, you know, you know, I, I, I think that it's, you know, a, a lot of times there are things in medicine that that research is working on for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before it actually really breaks through to the to the main to the main public. Right. Um, and I think that, um, you know, um, a lot of times um, that's what leads to us being ill informed for a lot of years. Um, and not being able to ask the right questions and not being able to know what to ask for when we go into the doctor's office because we don't even hear about stuff like this. Yeah, that's so true. Hold that thought right there, Dr. V. We've got to take a short break. We'll be back in four minutes, though. It's uh, six minutes away from the top of the hour. We've got to check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We're we'll back right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Good morning again, family. A minute after the top of the hour, Christian brothers are in the studio with us. Uh, Dr. Jay Edmonds is, I see there already, the Faith Brothers. We're going to talk about the season. And Pastor Manny just checked in. Okay, cool. But before, before we go, I'll let you go, uh, Dr. V. You know, our folks are really, really uh, suspicious. They have trust issues, when it, especially when it comes to medicine. And, and now you're telling us about this cure for sickle cell amina. Where can they find more information about this? Yeah, so um, if you, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post some of the FDA materials up on my website. So um, I'll have them posted by tomorrow. Um, and um, I'll, so I'll put up the links so that people can go to the, you can go to the FDA website and see it yourself as well. Um, you can also go to clinicaltrials.gov, which is a government website, um, and you'll actually see some of the clinical trials that are actually uh, going on now. I think there's one going on at University of Cincinnati at the pediatric hospital there. Um, but, yeah, those are the places you can actually um, see the actual information, see the actual uh, raw data, and, and, and see what people are actually, what the, what the, what the clinical trials have shown. All right, and we got some folks who wanted to talk to you. They didn't get in because they're calling so, so late. So how can folks reach you? They want to know more about this cure for sickle cell. Yes, askdrv.us is uh, is the website. And so uh, just reach out there. But anyone who's impacted by sickle cell disease sees a hematologist oncologist. Your hematologist oncologist knows about CRISPR technology and Vertex. And just make an appointment with your doctor and go on in there and actually ask him and speak specifically about your case and whether or not it would be something that would be worthwhile for you. Again, this is over 100,000 people die every year from sickle cell anemia, and it's very debilitating. So, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's easy to object to something when you don't have the disease. When you have the disease, you're looking for relief. You're looking for, you're looking for um, relief from your symptoms and relief from the side effects and relief from the mortality. All right. And thank you for sharing all this information with us this morning. Again, folks, you want more information, again, do your research again. Uh, and, and, you know, before you make your decisions, you know, don't take our word for it. Don't take Dr. V's word for it. But do your research yourself and then find out and then make your own decision. Uh, if you want to pass on this information, people with sickle cell or, you know, or you, if you do have sickle cell. Thank you, Dr. V. Thank you for sharing the information with us this morning. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, folks, uh, two after the top of the hour, we're bringing the Faith Brothers, uh, Dr. Manning and Pastor Curran. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? 
we're doing well this morning. We're excellent, actually. So we're in the season. So I got to ask you this because I know you want to talk about Christmas. But, you know, some people think straight up. uh, Let me go to Dr. Edmonds. I want to get Pastor Manning's version, too. People think that uh, many people think that it's a pagan holiday. So, Dr. Dr. Edmonds, how would you respond to that first? Well, that's not far-fetched. I mean, um, it existed long before the birth of Christ. People used to celebrate um, the middle of winter when winter had almost ended. And so that was a celebration around the world in that area and at that particular time. And um, that was centuries before the arrival of, of Jesus. So they, the Europeans at that point in time celebrated light, they celebrated birth, and they did this after the darkest days of winter had passed. Um, it's actually uh, predicated on what is called the winter solstice, when the worst of winter was behind them, and uh, they could look forward to longer days and extended hours of sunlight. So they would celebrate that. And also in parts of Rome, as I said before, um, they celebrate what is called Saturnalia. Uh, Saturnalia was a holiday that was in honor of Saturn, who was the god of agriculture. And they would celebrate that. Uh, That was long before the birth of Christ. It was actually, Saturnalia was the beginning um, of the week that was leading up to the winter solstice, and then it continued for a full month. And there is no doubt that Saturnalia was hedonistic. In other words, it um, the people then at that point in time, when they celebrated Saturnalia, they engaged in the pursuit of pleasure, sexual self-indulgence, drunkenness, uh, uh, parties, and plenty of food, and all of those kinds of things. It was a celebration. It was a Roman celebration at that point in time, long before uh, Christ was born. Even at that time, the, the people who were enslaved, they were given temporary freedom, and they were treated as equals. Um, during that particular time, it was a holiday uh, festivity. Right. Also, Let me go to, to Pastor Manning to ask this question then, Pastor Manning. Uh, Pastor Manning, is there a biblical reason for the season of Christmas? Is, is, is the is Christmas in the Bible, I guess, to put a better way? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, the, the, Christ, the Christian um, belief 
<clears throat> excuse me, of Christmas is essential. It's essential to the Christian faith. I mean, it, it, it's it's what the Christian faith is all about. If if Christ had not been born, um, as the scriptures tell us, then our faith would be futile. Um, so Christmas is it's that's why it's so essential, and it is biblical. The birth of Christ is, but the the Christmas, um, the holiday that that Doctor Edmonds described, and the the way that um, all of these things came to be, as far as the celebration of Christmas, the, the way that we see it, is not necessarily biblical. But when I celebrate Christmas, and when um, when the Christian um, celebrates Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. Um, the, the birth of Christ is one of the greatest miracles um, of the Christian faith that God um, chose to send his son. Um, we know, I mean, we have more conversation, I think, about Easter, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and all of that. But in order to die, he had to be born. And all of the the wonder surrounding his birth is what Christmas is all about. So we um, have to point people and especially Christians even it's sad to say back to to the to the word of God to the scripture back to the Bible back to um what um the Winans brothers sang that popular song the real meaning of Christmas is Christ I think um Joe Pace came out with another version of that but it's really true um if Christmas isn't about Jesus then our focus is off and um we're really missing um, one of the greatest opportunities to solidify our faith and to point people to Christ. The Gospel of Matthew, in verse chapter one, verse eighteen, it begins with, with this: these three words. It says, "Well, it, it says this is how um, Jesus was born. This is this is the story of the birth of Christ." And of course, we know in the Gospel of Luke we have more detail about his birth. But yes, Christmas is 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 about the birth of Christ. The the biblical reason um for celebrating Christmas is the is celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, was born in an amazing fashion. All of heaven and all of earth um came together, collaborated in this amazing birth, um and the story of his birth is what we celebrate and that's and that's why we celebrate it, and the and it should be celebrated in a way that <clears throat> for the for for again for believers it reminds us um you know we can go into the whole con- conversation of advent um um where we where we're anticipating the birth of Christ but it's also a season of repentance for us repentance of our sins repentance of of our selfish ways re- repentance from the gluttonous lives that we we can easily slip into um by being intoxicated with sales um and 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 celebrations that don't often point to Christ so it's it is extremely important um brother Carl and to our to our listeners to understand why we really ought to be celebrating Christ um the real meaning of christmas is christ 
All right. Having Absolutely. said that, at 10 after the top of the hour, uh, Dr. Dr. Edmonds, i got to ask you this question. Since the, the, this season of, of Christmas, should Christians and other religious organizations allow their children to believe in Santa Claus and, and interact with Santa Claus, you know, writing letters? We, we, we're going to see on TV pretty soon that uh, Santa Claus is young children. You see young black children sitting on the lap of some old white guy. It, 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 you know, I'm just gonna ask you about that. As, as a Christian, does that does that does that rub you the wrong way, or are you cool with it? <laughs> well, I was about to say uh, when the trans when we did a transition to my good friend Pastor Manning, that also in that time uh, of Roman celebration of the soldiers they also observed what is called juvenilia. Juvenilia was a feast honoring the children of Rome, um, in addition to all of the parents, the upper class, and what have you. But it was about the celebration of Mithra. Mithra was the god of the unconquerable sun. That was held on December the 25th. It was believed that Mithra who was an infant or a child god, was born from a rock. And so they would celebrate that birthday of Mithra. First century Christians hijacked that process and said that the Savior, our Savior, Christ Jesus, was born. And they hijacked that process, that time of solstice, and also that date, December the 20th. Now, I think the Santa Claus situation uh, comes as a result of what the Germanic people did uh, with uh, uh, St. Nick and Nicholas and all of that. I think that's where that came from, and that's where we have the intersection of the commercialism uh, along with the celebration of that particular day. Many people who engage in to uh, the celebration of Christmas uh, really do not really focus in on the birth of Christ as much as the commercialism. And as my good friend, Pastor Manning was saying, uh, we who are Christians understand the concept just as the first century Christians did. The original uh, blueprint was laid out as it relates to celebrating the birth of Christ. Now, you know, we have those who believe in Christ and those who do not believe in Christ, but yet commercialism seems to uh, um, cover uh, all angles when it comes down to uh, the purpose of Christmas or the reason for Christmas. Uh, All right, hold that thought right not, there, uh, Doctor Edmonds, because we're yeah. we're gonna take a short break. I'll let you finish when we come back, and and, and also, family, you want to join this conversation? You got questions? All you biblical scholars out here, reach out to us at 800-450-7876, 14 after the top of the hour. We're gonna check the traffic and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore with the Faith Brothers on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, we got the Faith Brothers in with us this morning, Dr. Jay Edmonds, Pastor Curran Manning. We're discussing the reason for the season. What are your thoughts about this? Got a tweet question for them. But before we do that, uh, uh, Dr. Edmonds, I'll let you finish your thought. 
Yeah, I was, uh, uh, you know, about to say that uh, I think for each child um, who is looking at Christmas as a very uh, celebratory time of the year for them with gifts and all of that, I I think it's important uh, that the parent speak the truth to them um, about the holiday and allow their imaginations to take with whatever path that uh, that it may it's a joyous time for them and but i think it is imperative that the truth about christmas itself meaning uh, from a christian perspective and for those who are not christians uh, uh, i think that information uh, should be uh, relayed to to the children all right, 21 after the top there. Before I do the tweet question, uh, for, let me go to Pastor Manning, since we're talking about Christians. Should Christ, Christians have, knowing what we know about what Christmas is all about now, should Christians have Christmas trees, decorate, go to uh, holiday Christmas parties, buy presents? You know, because folks will talk about they, they're not into Christian, Christ, Christmas, they're not into Christianity, but they're buying presents and say, oh, well, I'm going to do it for the children. And on top of that, uh, Pastor Kerwin, should they celebrate Kwanzaa? Your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> again, I'm, I'm just so thankful for this subject, the fact that we're talking about Christmas, the fact that um, we are we have an opportunity to celebrate Christ and to talk about what Christmas is really about. Um, I, I thought it was um, very um, just wonderful the way Dr. Edmonds did the intro question when he used the word hijacked um, because the 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 original intent of christmas which was basically a pagan pagan celebrations and ideas was was taken back or hijacked by the christian faith to really um emphasize and and point to um the birth of christ which is the most important thing in this season um along with all of the trimmings for lack of a better word of of christmas with christmas trees and wreaths and and the various decorations that could could light the phones up this morning um we have to always remember why we're celebrating um and in 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 that process we have we have embraced some of those things Christians have embraced some of those practices um and 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 have christmas trees and and give gifts and all of that and and to be honest with you, my family has done that with some of these with some of these things some some of them as i'm learning and the key the key I want our listeners to know as a pastor i'm telling you that i'm still learning um about the history of some of these things from the from the um, secular perspective, and then we have to make a decision as to what we'll accept and not accept. But I do, as, as Dr. Edmonds was talking about when you asked about that last question, um, we have always taught our children um, that it's not a Santa Claus, it's mommy, mommy Claus and Daddy Claus. I mean, if, if there's going to be any gifts that are given, it's because we've been blessed to be able to to be a blessing to our children and to others. Um, but um, it's not essential to the Christian faith. That's the that's the key. What's essential is understanding why we celebrate Christmas. So so the trees and all of those things, you know, I, I you know when when there's good involved and and um, being a blessing to people, more people people give 
give more during the season to to causes um, that are meaningful and things like that, and even to one another. I think it's 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 good to be able to celebrate and to love and to honor one another, family, friends, and strangers. Um, but when we get intoxicated with that and it and it and elevated over Christ, then it's it's a dangerous thing. Um, I don't I don't have a problem with. I think that it's um, I'm learning more and more about Kwanzaa and the importance of celebrating Kwanzaa. I know there is some some um, dissension about the proximity of Kwanzaa to Christmas and all of that. But again, we we just emphasize that December 25th isn't the actual birthday of Christ. Um, and the, the, the meanings and the, the emphasis behind why Kwanzaa is being celebrated and elevated, I think, um, has a, has a positive place, um, for African Americans and others around the world. All right. 25 at the top there. There's a tweet. Tweeter says today, the evangelists believe that Donald Trump is a sign of Jesus and God's fight against barbarism. How do, and the, the question is for both of the faith brothers, how do they respond to that Christian interpretation? The evangelists believe that Donald Trump is the sign of Jesus and God's fight against barbarism. And that's why he's getting a lot of this political support. That's the tweet question for the faith brothers. Anybody want to tackle that? Sure. I, I, <laughs> I, it, it's believed by a certain uh, group, a certain segment, and it is erroneously believed because uh, they have uh, uh, chose to embrace uh, a particular untruth as a truth because of their tribal uh, connectivity. Uh, you know, Politically, one has a, uh, a, a, a tribal instinct to gravitate toward those who are politically aligned with them. And so very little attention is actually uh, going to what is being said. And I think it is at the height of hypocrisy uh, for one to... Uh, equate uh, Donald Trump with Jesus. Uh, I, I think that by doing that, the enemy, meaning the devil, has set up a uh, 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 a stream of consciousness. Whereas, if one embraces that. Uh, Donald Trump himself is aligned with Jesus, then everything that he says must be true. And so when you have a stream of unconscionable lies and actions that are flowing forth and people are embracing that as being true, that within itself should illustrate without question that the enemy has uh, infuse our system with truths which are untruths, and they are being accepted as truth itself. And so that's that's what's actually happening. And I think it it is it is despicable, uh, uh, unconscionable uh, for one to to even uh, uh, place those same two words in the same sentence. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. 28 after the top. Let's go to line two. Roger is calling us from California. Good morning, Roger. Habari Ghani call. Habari Ghana, Ghani pastors. Uh, my question to the pastors is, if Jesus is the reason for the season, why is it that Jesus doesn't know anything about Christians? In fact, Jesus does not know anything about Christians. So if you could speak to that point. And also Hanukkah, which starts uh, Thursday night, is not mentioned in the Bible. So all of these holidays seem to be man-made and they're not coming out of the Bible. And, and before I get off, uh, pastors, could you say a prayer for the Rams? They're playing Baltimore this Sunday so that they'll win the game. And have a good night. They're going to need it playing Baltimore. <laughs> I was going to say we'll start with that last one first. I don't know, I don't know if the Rams have a, have a prayer against Baltimore. Um, many, of the, many of your listeners don't. I haven't talked about this, but I, I lived in the DMV for, for a few years. I was a youth pastor in Columbia, Maryland, so the DMV is dear to my heart. I was just there in October. Um, so so um, I'm hoping that the Ravens prevail. Um, but as far as Jesus not knowing about Christmas and, and Christians, um, well, the, to me, my, my basic answer would be is the story of, of, of Christ um, is told throughout the Gospels. We didn't receive the Gospels, and they weren't um, in written form until years later after after the birth, death, resurrection of Christ. So um Jesus didn't know about them. He was he was living it. He was he was writing it with his life. Um one of the one of the miracles um of of the whole gospel story is comes from John the Gospel of John chapter one, verse fourteen. And it's, it talks about in the beginning, well, one, one, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is is God. Jesus is the Son of God. But then it says in verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among men. So the word of God became flesh. Jesus um, became um, flesh, and he came to this earth um, born of a virgin um, and, and, and all of the things that the scriptures tell us about. So that's why he wouldn't, you know, Jesus never talked about Christmas or Christians. The word Christians um, was a term that was almost, I believe, my understanding, almost as a derogatory term or just a term ascribed to followers of Christ at some point um, in the early church. So so to me, that's why that would be my answer to, to Roger's question. All right. Dr. Edmonds? Yeah, I, I would uh, say also to Roger, um, thank you for that question, first of all, and that observation. Um, Christian, uh, well, believers, the call out one, ecclesia in the Greek, they 
were actually first called Christians in uh, the, the region of Antioch. And simply, the Apostle Paul put it this way, if I live in Rome, I am a Roman. Um, if I live in Christ, I am a Christian. And it makes sense along those particular lines, uh, the name itself and the identification, but mostly for uh, uh, reasons that were antithetical to the Roman system, there was a concealment of any affiliation with Christ because of the persecution. And there were those who were being thrown into the arena, fed to the lions for sports and all, all of this. So there was, in the first century, a concealment of this. But I like to, I like to say this on the larger point, okay? Um, when, when, the, when we look at uh, the designation of Christmas, mostly it comes with the, uh, uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, immaculate conception. Well, we we have to take that and put that in juxtaposition with other births that took that that took on that same principle. Say uh, the child of uh, of Isis and Osiris, who was Horus. Uh, it is said that he was born that 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 very same way. Matter of fact, what is notable about Horus in the Egyptian Book of the Dead is the reaction or the connection, rather, uh, to Jesus in that, in that manner. When you're basically comparing the two, uh, uh, Horus was called Shed, which means in the in Egyptian uh, Savior. And then there's another point of interest, I think, that is important, the birth of Horus. Um, it was said to be immaculate. Uh, as as well, and so it was widely known uh, that this was something special. But this this within itself gives contour to how different people with different worldviews uh, may look into a certain thing, a certain place, or date, or time to have it identified with that which is sacred. All right, hold that thought right there, Doc. We've got to take a short yeah. break. We've got to take another look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. It's 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. We're the Faith Brothers. Family, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. 19 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, the Faith Brothers, in the person of Dr. J. Edmonds and Pastor Kerwin Manning, who's discussing the Christmas season. Before we go back to them, just want to remind you tomorrow, J.B. Bryant's going to be with us. going to give us some financial tips as we close out the year. Also, also, the master teacher himself, Brother Ashwa Kwesi, will be here as well. A lot of things we're talking about right now, we're going to discuss with Brother Kwesi. And, I'm, and, and Dr. Edmonds, I'm glad you mentioned Isis and Horus, because a lot of people think that just because you're a Christian minister, you don't understand Isis 
Quasis and Horus. You know, some about, about our, our great ancestors. Well, this is what the brother Quasi is going to talk about because I know the, I, I just know what the argument is going to be. So I'm I'm glad you did that without me having even to drag it out of it because I know you already know about Isis and Horus. But I got a tweet question, and I'm going to crystallize a question. I'll put this in, in Pastor Manning's lap, though. It's about prayer, uh, and the tweeter. Tweet want to know, how do you know if God answers your prayer? It, because it says, if, if you pray for something and you get it, that's fine. If you don't get it, you still say, he answered my prayer. It, it, it was correct. You, you always give a thumbs up either way. So, so how do you know that the prayer works? Basically, it's a, it's a long tweet, but that's the uh, crystallized version. So, Pastor Manning, can you help that person out? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's a great question, and that's that's something that um, we all wrestle with, right? Um, and it, it's it's really what defines... Our, our faith and our belief many times, um, especially for someone who is who is a, a newer Christian, um, because there's such an emphasis on prayer, um, and many times prayer is presented as kind of like this this way of, of of getting what you want, right? But prayer, um, in its in its most purest form, is communing and communicating with God. It's not just about asking and getting what getting what you want but when we so so how do we know to the basic answer i would give that the caller is or the 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 writer we know because we've prayed and we've prayed in faith and when we pray in faith we believe god to answer the the challenge is many times the answer um isn't presented the way that we expect it or it's not answered you know in the way that we wanted it to be answered. One of the most interesting um, examples of prayer in the Bible is when Daniel prayed, right, in, in, the, in the book of Daniel. Um, when the angel comes to Daniel, um, it, it was 21 days after Daniel had prayed. So f- from, the, from the human perspective, I prayed, man, I haven't heard anything. What's going on? But, but we get an insight of what happens in the spiritual realm, because the angel begins to tell Daniel, which is powerful. This is what I share with people. One of the things he says is, Daniel, the the moment you prayed, when you first prayed, God heard you. When you prayed, God heard you, and He answered you. God answered you when you prayed. When you prayed, God heard it, and He answered. But then it says, but then then the angel explains this whole. Um, story of I'm 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 assigned to bring you the answer, but I couldn't get it to you because I had to fight through. Um, I had to I had to go into battle with the prince of per- with with the spiritual um, um, demonic prince that was trying to keep me from getting the prayer to you. We don't see all of that and we don't understand all of that in the moment 
that we pray and when we want something. Um, but there's a there's a war going on in the heavenlies, um, and there is definitely a, a spiritual attempt um, from from principalities um, and powers to keep us from receiving that that which God has answered and given us. And then, like I was beginning alluding to in the beginning, then once once you pray, you just trust God for the answer, um, and whatever that answer is then our response to, to God's will, meaning his, his, his way of answering us, is just, yes, Lord. I trust. Uh, so let me follow up on the tweeter here, though, though Pastor Curry. So he should only play, uh, pray once. Whatever the outcome is, that's what God wants. Is that what you're trying to tell us? I'm sorry, say that again. Pray once? Only pray once. If you're praying for something or, or someone, you should only pray once then. Because whatever the because then whatever the result is, that's God's answer. Well, I, I understand what the tweeter is saying. You know, Scripture says men should always pray. Um, so, and, and prayer really should be a continuous aspect of our lifestyle. You know, I I pray while I'm while I'm walking. I pray while I'm driving. I pray while I'm working out. Um, but when you talk about specific requests, I do. Let me just give this perspective. I do think sometimes we we um, sabotage our prayers by continuing to to ask for something we've prayed for um and i'm i'm that um in some cases we are to just if you pray for it then you just believe there was something i was praying for and i kept asking god for in prayer and and in my prayer time which is not only talking to god but listening to god in my prayer time when i stopped talking I heard in my heart, I heard the Lord speak to me in the prayer and say, why are you still asking me for that? Why don't you just thank me for it? So I begin to change my the form of my prayer from the request to just thanking, Lord, I thank you that it's done. I hadn't received it yet. I hadn't seen it yet. But I started thanking him because I already prayed and I already believed that he he answered. So now I, I changed my prayer to a prayer of thanksgiving. But sometimes we just stay in the asking form. It's just like when our children, you know, our children keep asking us for something. You remember, Mama, 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 Daddy, Daddy. You know, after a couple of those, you, you know, your your attention turns to you need to close your mouth and stop asking me for that. Now, I don't believe our Heavenly Father is that way, but um, I'm just talking about to how it sounds how it sounds, and sometimes if we listen to ourselves as we're communicating to God, it would make us change our approach, thanking him, spending that time not just asking, but loving and, and exhorting him and um, and adoring him. All right. Thank you, Pastor Cohen, and I hope you help somebody this morning. Let me go back to uh, uh, Dr. Edmonds, though. Dr. Edmonds, uh, Explain the etymology of the word Christmas. Break it down for us so that people could probably better understand it. Well, the it's a two-part word, but in actuality, um, it's that which comes from a point of Christ's mass which has to do with that which is celebrated within, it first started within Roman Catholicism. And it has to do with the attentiveness that is given to a specific matter that is centered around 
that which is a deity. And that can take on many forms when you look at it uh, from that standpoint. It is a Latin word for that. And so the derivative, uh, that which evolved into Christmas, has a lot to do with the perspective of gifts. It has a lot to do with attention that is placed on something that is supposed to be holy. And uh, uh, that's where that that actually came from. All right. Uh, l- let me go to Pastor Pastor Manning, though, and, and talk about this, the Christmas. You know, contrary to belief, December has the lowest rate of suicide. Why does society continue to attempt to attach negativity to Christmas? Why, why is there so much negativity, you know, in, in certain areas about the, the Christmas season? <clears throat> I think um, that's, again, a, a great question. Um, I think the the negative, I don't know about the suicides, um, but, but just personally, I think any of the holidays and times that are special um, and, and dates that are special to us often remind us of um, what we have and what we don't have. It often reminds us of our loved ones that we've lost. And sometimes people, I mean, some have lost loved ones on Christmas or around Christmas. So it creates um, a depression and hardship to, to, to press through that. And in the midst of where everybody is, um, seems to be more joyful and happy and families are gathering, some don't have families. Um, you know, we've talked about, Brother Carl, you know, the death of our daughter Morgan six years ago um, and what that's, how that's changed our lives. You know, just, just yesterday, actually, I was, I was driving and I just had a moment where I was thinking about Morgan and I was thinking about um, just not having her um, with us right through here because she loved Christmas. And, you know, just, just for a, a split second, you know, I know I could have gone into a depression and, and gone deeper into that thing, but I was able to just come out of it by by changing my thought to thoughts of joy and what it meant and how joyful um how much joy she brought to my life and how I believe she would even want me to be joy, to continue to be joyful and to live my life. So I understand how people can get down into those spaces that are very hard to, to, to pull themselves up from. Um, so, so my heart goes out to anyone and I just want to encourage anyone that, that feels that way to, to, to first of all, try to find um, something that sparks joy, even when it comes to those, the, the, that loss or the loss of that person or, or what you don't have. Um, one of the ways that another way that helps me is just by um, finding opportunities to do good to others and for others. Um, there's some, some that, you know, when you talk about children and gifts and all of that, some children don't have gifts. Our church is um, sponsoring a foster home um, this this season. So the boys at this local foster home will have a, 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 a Christmas. They will have an opportunity to celebrate it. And our church is, is being the family for them. We're having a big pancake breakfast and, and we're we're donating, you know, we're we're donating gifts to them. But but it's it's just finding ways to give and to be joyful in the midst of all of that. I don't know if that answered the, the whole question. 
Yeah, it, it did. And we're coming up on a break. We've got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, uh, Mr. Edmonds, uh, a question for you, though. There's been an effort to remove Christ, which, as you say, is the real reason for the season. Is this attempt more secular or is it a cultural attempt? I'll let you respond to that when we get back after checking the traffic and weather in our different cities. It's six minutes away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes with the Faith Brothers right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and 8. AM 1450 WOL or information is power. Keep Good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour, momentarily we're speaking with Attorney Dwight Pettit. We're going to look at the charges that uh, Donald Trump is facing. Donald Trump is facing 91 criminal charges. Before we do that, though, I posed a question to, to Dr. Edmonds about Christmas. It seems like it's uh, they're reimagining uh, Christmas. I don't know if I get his view whether this attempt is uh, more of a secular or a cultural attempt. If you can give us a short version, I'd appreciate it, uh, Dr. Edmonds. Sure, no problem. No problem. It's it's uh, cultural in its nature because people are basically confronted with so many other distractions and so many so-called truths through the media and just just in general. Um, so it's become cultural in nature uh, more than anything else. The culture is evolving, and that's where we have to be very um, careful uh, about our consideration as to how we view things, What what is our worldview. Uh, gotcha. It's important in this time. All right. And I want to thank you, both of you, for, for joining us and, and uh, you know, helping us out here, because I know you've helped some folks, as usual, and uh, Apologize to the folks who couldn't get I had questions for you. But before we let you go, uh, Pastor Kerwin, how can folks reach you? Yes, um, Pastor Kerwin, K-E-R-W-I-N, at PasadenaChurch.com. Um, Pastor Kerwin at PasadenaChurch.com. And I want to encourage our listeners to read the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2, on Christmas Day with your families before you do anything else. Read the story of the birth. All right. Dr. Edmonds? Yes, the Edmonds Group Global at gmail.com. The Edmonds Group Global at gmail.com. All Thank right. You so Thank much, you for sharing. Paul. Thank you for sharing all this information with us this morning. And again, I apologize to the folks who they wait to the last minute to call, ask questions. So I apologize to those who didn't had questions for you. They can contact you and pose those questions there. But thank you again, Faith Brothers, and we'll see you next year. Thank right, you. Family. Blessing. Okay. Two after the top of the hour. Good morning, Attorney Pettit. This morning, we're excellent. And we're going to ask you about Teflon Don, Don Donald Trump. I want to get your thoughts. You're, we're going to pick your legal brains this morning about Donald Trump. He, he's facing a, let me see, 91 criminal charges. 91 criminal charges. You know, a person facing one, they 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 really they be they be tripping. They be really you know these criminal charges. He's facing 91, and and you know people call him Teflon Don. Out of all the charges in the, in, I think, is it four major charges in, in three uh, jurisdictions? Help me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong here. Which one do you think stands to probably will trip him up? Which one do you think they'll get him on? Well, you know, Carl, I, I think they have a reasonable opportunity to get him on all three, uh, every place he's charged. But I think the, the easiest one, as a matter of fact, uh, is Largo. I'm, I'm in... Uh, Mar-a-Lago in um, in um, Florida. 
And the reason I say that is because that is such a uh, open and shut case uh, in relationship uh, to the fact that he uh, was subpoenaed and, in fact, took the document and did not return the document uh, to the FBI or to the government as required. And so he was obviously in breach of the law, and the evidence shows that he, in fact, distributed those documents uh, to other persons. And we don't know what he did with those documents uh, in terms of other countries and what have you. I think that's going to come out in trial. But I think the easiest one, as a matter of law, uh, is Mar-a-Lago. And uh, I can go back uh, to Judge Chunkin uh, in D.C. I think that's strong. Uh, I think uh, uh, Alvin Bragg's case in New York, Stormy Daniels, <clears throat> is strong. So I think uh, of your question, I guess, in order, I would say uh, D.C. is second to Mar-a-Lago in terms of being the easiest uh, in terms of proof. But you have to realize a lot of his defenses are being raised now, Carl. He's being raised in terms of procedural motion. And this, you know, you talk about 91 charges and indictments, what have you. The big thing that Trump was trying to raise uh, are these defenses in terms of immunity, uh, in terms of... uh, uh, of not being acceptable to criminal justice because he was president, uh, other lawyers, uh, his team of represent- representatives who, in fact, advised him. He's trying to say that he followed the advice of lawyers. So a lot of those things that we need to watch are, are being taken apart now as we speak about the Court of Appeal. Uh, not just the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia, uh, but the Court of Appeals in Fulton County. And the only, you know, uh, nexus that we have, the only uh, impediment is going to be possibly in Florida, even though I said that factually is the easiest one to convict. But he has a judge down there, Judge Cannon, is a judge that he, in fact, appointed and is a judge who has come under the scrutiny of the appellate courts because of her prior rulings so much in favor of, of Trump that they were, in fact, in violation of the law. So that's right. a, a long and long around <laughs> answer to your question. Yeah, so let's go to Florida first, Mar-a-Lago. As you mentioned, the judge has, has been uh, sympathetic to Donald Trump. Is, is there any way around that? Because she's, she's, you know, ruled in his favor just about, and he seems like playing part of his delay game is, is, as you mentioned, you know, to file all, in a way, his, his game, his, his game plan is to delay all these uh, trials or try to get him to trial. So, so they can be cleared for the elections that are coming up. So what can they, what can be done for that judge? Is she the, the final word delaying the Mar-a-Lago case? No, because they reversed her before, but the, I think it's the fifth circuit, U uh, S court of appeal. And they reversed her so uh, adamantly and so strongly that hopefully she uh, does not want to be embarrassed by the Court of Appeals again. So she's going to be very careful in her rulings. But right now, it seems as though her major ruling is in uh, Trump's uh, benefit because uh, she refuses to put a trial date forward. And, And the argument for that is that there's so many documents that are involved in the Mar-a-Lago case. 
So she's right now on solid ground because she hasn't had to to rule on any major issues uh, such as motions to dismiss or motions uh, summary judgment, not summary judgment because that's criminal. And um, um, the summary judgment, I think one of the things that we have to watch, Carl, is what is happening uh, in terms of the other jurisdictions. Uh, we see that in this week, uh, the D.C. Court of Appeal uh, affirmed – now, this is outside of the indictment and outside of the criminal aspect. But as you know, a lot of Congress people and individuals were injured on uh, January 6th, and they brought an action in the D.C. court in federal. And Trump moved to, in fact, dismiss those indictments on the basis, number one, that he was immune because he was president, and uh, number two, uh, that he was not uh, uh, acceptable uh, to litigation uh, because his, his statements were not inciting a riot. And the Court of, of Appeals of the District of Columbia this week threw those defenses out and said that those people in the District of Columbia who brought actions against Trump uh, can proceed uh, because he was acting uh, not in his official capacity as president, but he was acting politically as a candidate. And that case has gone forward. Now, why is that important? Even though that was outside of the government, outside of Mar-a-Lago, outside of Fulton County, outside of the District of Columbia, but in a case of, like that, we have a thing what we call stare decisis, where courts will follow uh, decisions of other courts. And so the Court of Appeals ruling in the District of Columbia uh, that tr Trump uh, did not have those defenses, I think, will be rulings that can be built upon uh, by other jurisdictions in terms of dismantling the defenses, the bogus defenses that he's attempting to raise. Having said that, it begs a question here. Actually, a tweet from John, and he told him the last time you were on, he wanted to me ask this question, and I, it's, I sort of forgot it. But anyway, I'm glad you went there with that, because his question is about Trump being on the ballot in several states uh, running for this election. And will this ruling that took place in Washington, D.C., affect the, these states now? Can these states go back and say, since he, he can be accused or charged with these of, of trying to incite a riot on January 6th, does that... Does that mean that we don't have to put him on our ballot for in the presidential race next year? Well, I think, uh, John, that that's going to have to go uh, to the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court uh, decides to take it. I think the case that he's referring to is the Colorado case. And in Colorado, under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, uh, they decided that uh, he uh, could be on the ballot because the question uh, in terms of his guilt for the insurrection had not really been established either by impeachment or by, in fact, a court of law. And so it's sort of that, that statute of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is sort of uh, vague in terms of what Congress intended. And so I think that's going to have to go to the Court of Appeals, but I think this ruling in the District of Columbia uh, Court of Appeals is going to have some weight. And I guess the answer to the question, it, may, it will not resolve that issue, but it will have some weight 
in terms of persuading uh, other courts uh, that uh, he is not immune because he was president, uh, number one, and number two, uh, that his statements that he made on January 6th were political and not protected uh, by his official capacity as president, even though he was president at the time. So is that going to be, they're going to have to judge whether you parse his statements, whether they were political or whether they're presidential. Is that what you're telling us? Yes. And that, that that's what was one of the issues to the Court of Appeal, where he made a motion to dismiss the case based on presidential immunity. And the second issue being uh, the fact that he had a First Amendment right uh, to make political statements and he was protected from prosecution, where the court said the court didn't close the door on his uh, official uh, actions, but the court left it open trial by trial as to whether or not these were political statements in terms of running for office or whether these were statements involving uh, his official capacity as president. Now, you remember, Carl, this was already entertained in Georgia and Fulton County. He raised this in Fulton County, and that was thrown out. They ruled uh, the Court of Appeals in Fulton County that uh, these actions by him were not protected uh, by the fact of immunity because he was president. And so these decisions, piece by piece, piece, they're closing the door on a lot of these defenses uh, that he, or these bogus defenses, uh, that he is attempting to raise. And, uh, you know, as to whether or not Fulton County moves forward under the RICO statute, uh, we hit waiting a decision because he's also made a motion to dismiss on the issue of immunity, just like in the District of Columbia on the uh, um, defense being raised in terms of immunity and official or non-official capacity. As you remember, in Fulton County, his chief of staff raised that defense, and it was thrown out. And all the staff members that raised the defense of uh, they were acting in official capacity and therefore were immune, those defenses were raised out, were thrown out. And if you recall, a lot of those people have flipped in, in Fulton County and now become witnesses for the government. And that even goes against his defense that he was acting on advice of counsel because a lot of these people were lawyers who were going to say, I told him he lost the election. And he didn't, he didn't react to me positively. He just shrugged off that advice. But we gave him the advice that he lost. So we see right. a lot of his defenses come apart. All right, hold that thought right there, uh, Attorney Petty. When we come back, though, I have a question for you. Is he playing the long game in all of this? Because he knows he's got the Supreme Court stacked in his favor. He put many of them on there, and, and he's, he's just going to appeal it all the way to the Supreme Court and just try to run out the clock before the election. I want to get your thoughts about that. But we got to take a short break and check the traffic and weather in our different cities. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Attorney uh, Dwight Pettit, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. 
And good morning again, family. 22 minutes after the top of the hour, we're on with a constitutional and criminal defense attorney out of Baltimore, attorney Dwight Pettyman. If you've heard him before, those of you who listened to this station a long time ago, he was here analyzing the O.J. Simpson trial for us. Right now, we're talking about Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump, the pre- uh, presumptive uh, uh, Republican presidential candidate, is facing 91 criminal charges. And, and the, before we left for the traffic and weather update, my question to attorney Pettit was, if, if he's playing the long game, if he's going to, all these charges, it, it, even if he gets convicted on the lower level, is he hoping that he'll get some relief from the Supreme Court? Counsel it. Well, it's, it's no question, Carl. He's, he's playing the long game. Uh, his whole uh, game plan is that he's going to win the election and declare a dictatorship, which he's already indicated uh, that he's going to do. And, of course, he would grant himself all types of immunities and pardons. But I think one of the things that we need to watch right here, uh, although it's not a criminal prosecution, let's keep our eyes on Letitia James. Uh, Letitia James is the attorney general of New York. Now, if you recall, uh, call, you know, Donald Trump didn't show up for any pretrial motions other than arraignment in terms of the criminal matters. And he might show, but at this point in time, he sort of, just spend his time uh, uh, attacking the judges and the prosecutors. Letitia James's case in New York, they have already got summary judgment in terms of the factual part of the case and are now moving for the damages. All right, hold that thought right there. Explain what, what you mean when you say, for the layman, summary judgment. Does that mean he's already been found guilty? He found him guilty. The judge there found him guilty. Uh, in terms of defrauding uh, creditors and what have you to get certain bank loans. And she fined him $250 million. Now, she also, this is the penalty part of the case as to whether she's going to close his businesses down in New York and deny him the opportunity to do business through all of his corporations in New York and possibly have the government, the state of New York, these some of Donald Trump properties, particularly hotels and what have you, where his headquarters are. That's why you saw him show up in court, because, as you know, I've always said to you, Carl, those folks understand money. They understand money more than they understand jail. And so, you know, if you saw the stress on his face, on his face, he was more concerned about his assets, his money, and what Latricia James is doing in New York in terms of that judgment, and this trial is continuing, and it's all about the penalty stage of whether or not she's going to seize or the judge, uh, she being the attorney general, but the judge is going to, in fact, order uh, those properties of Trump forfeited for uh, certain economic purposes and whether or not they're going to close them business-wise, close them down in New York. So you got to look at all of these different things that the system is putting upon him uh, in terms of squeezing him. And even though he's raising all kinds of sand, calling the judges' names and calling the uh, uh, judges' clerks and threatening witnesses and what have you, I think if you watch it closely, they are slowly tightening the screws uh, upon him, which in fact might be able to defeat his plan to outlast them in terms of the election and winning the election and therefore being able to resolve it by pardon and what have you. 
So that's his game plan. But there's some other things in the works, as, as I'm indicating. All right, 26 after the top of the hour. This, this is a, correct me if I'm wrong, now, this is a civil trial of what was going on in New York, the fraud trial. So if they, if the, and right now they've already well, found him guilty. Trial, but don't remember, remember you got a Bragg, the Stormy Davis right. trial in Stormy New York. Stormy Davis, right. So, but, but this fraud trial now, if, if they've already found him guilty, right now they're going through the motions to find out how much, how much he has to pay back or are they going to shut him down or, or take away his businesses? If they do decide that, do, shut him down is one, but taking away his business, where does that money go? Because he didn't, did he defraud the state of New York or is he goes back to the banks and the le- other lenders? No, it wouldn't go back to the de- banks. I think uh, the state of New York would assign some type of a monitor or some type of trustee uh, to, in fact, monitor his assets and the dissolution of those assets to satisfy the state's uh, judgment. I do not think that it goes back. Of course, it doesn't go back uh, to the lenders. It goes back to the state of New York and how they would uh, resolve it. I'm just not sure, uh, called in terms of uh, that aspect of it. But if they were able to shut his businesses down, if they were able to increase the penalty from $250 million uh, to a, 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 a no telling what the sum, I think it's the judge, is Judge Ingeron, uh, is the one that he's uh, going back and forth and calling all types of names and what have you. If that judge holds uh, true and shuts him down uh, in New York, then that that is going to be very interesting because that's all of his major, major properties uh, in New York. And so I think uh, that is a very, very serious proceeding that's going on, although it's civil. Uh, is still uh, dealing with his empire in terms of economics. All right, 20, 28 after the top of the hour. Uh, and that is interesting because, uh, he, as you've mentioned, he's been berating the judge and, and also the, some of the folks who work for the judge. They placed a gag on, order on Donald Trump, and he's using this as saying, see, they don't want me to talk because I'm running for office. Does he have a case? Well, the court, again, that went up on the Court of Appeals uh, in New York. And the New York Court of Appeals came back and said that the gag order that the judge put upon him uh, was proper. And it limited the gag order. It said he could, in fact, do what he needs to do uh, in terms of a candidate. But he cannot, in fact, attack the judge or the judge's law clerk or the judge's wife and all the people that he'd been attacking, just like he's been attacking uh, uh, the judge in the criminal case. And that uh, is uh, Judge Chuckton. And now, so the question became or becomes, what are the judges going to do who obviously see him violating the gag order? Is Judge Chuckton going to bring the hammer down on him? Or is Judge Ingeron going to bring the hammer down on him in the civil case? And this is where it gets interesting, because the judges, are he's getting the benefit of, of uh of the system like no other person has ever received in America. And he should be in jail. He should be under the jail right now. But the judges are giving him all the rope so that when he goes up to the appeal or the appellate court and says, they mistreated me because they were after me, I think the judges are afraid to put him in incarceration or jail. They're going to find him, let him continue to abuse the gag orders, 
And at some point in time, one of those judges are going to hit him with some type of uh, uh, tremendous fine or some type of uh, order uh, that, again, goes back to him economically. And I'm not sure whether either judge wants to be the one that puts a presidential candidate in jail, considering that he should be there. Well, let me ask you, before I ask you, go to the Manhattan case with Alvin Bragg. Is Trump getting some sort of special treatment? I don't think a, a defendant would get away with, with bad-mouthing the judge uh, and the, the court uh, officials and get away with it like he's been done? Why hasn't well, it been held in contempt? Treatment. There's no question about that, Carl. He's getting special treatment that nobody in America would possibly even aspire to simply because that was his calculation. you got to remember, this goes Trump's mind. This goes back, I said in your show, on your show, he decided to run for president only because, not because he wanted to be president so much, um, but that was his only legal defense. The facts, the criminal facts and the civil facts were so much against him. In his mind, the only way he could defeat this was not in a court of law, but being president of the United States. That's why he ended the race. Now, he's been fortunate enough that the polls have made him a major contender in terms of the Republican nomination, but he's doing exactly what he wanted to do uh, in terms of running out the clock and maintaining his aspirations uh, to be president, not for the benefit of the country, but for the benefit of himself uh, in terms of pardoning himself, just like uh, uh, um um, the president that pardoned himself when Gerald Ford became president. Nixon. Nixon. Yeah, uh, Nixon and Gerald Ford, what they did when they changed changed their hands. But let me ask you this, though, about the Manhattan case with, with Alvin Bragg. Can you explain what that, one, that, 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 that uh, case is all about? Well, that basically was about Stormy Daniels and money that was paid to Stormy Daniels um, by his... Uh, front man, I forget his name right now, and um, uh, Weisselberg. In fact, no, Weisberg was the, the one that oh, had Cohen. the corporate of Cohen. Cohen was Cohen. And Cohen was, in fact, paid her off uh, to silence her in terms of Donald Trump's uh, personal involvement with him. Uh, and, and that money was an illegal uh, expense that they lied about in terms of the books and lied about in terms of uh, the usage of that money, which violated not only perjury laws, but violated uh, laws as a respect to uh, uh, tax laws and so forth. And so that that comes right down uh, to perjury, uh, to illegal campaign monies, and uh, basically that action is predicated upon his violation of the New York campaign law in terms of the monies that were paid her that Cohen gave her for Trump that he denied or Cohen came back after he was convicted and said, yeah, I did, in fact, give the money for Trump. And so that case is very, very, very strong uh, that uh, he lied and violated uh, his campaign uh, laws. But Trump has violated everything that we can imagine. And that's why I said if he wasn't Trump, he would be under the drill uh, if he was not uh, who he is in terms of being a presidential candidate. 
All right, hold that thought right there, attorney. We got to take a short break here. We got to take our last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Folks, you got questions about the, the, the criminal charges facing Donald Trump and Teflon Don. They used, to, they used to call him. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876 or 26 minutes away from the top L. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Thanks for rolling in with us this morning. Been an interesting morning so far. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Attorney Dwight Pettit. Attorney Pettit is a constitutional and a criminal defense attorney based in Baltimore. Before we go back to him, let me just remind you, coming up tomorrow, we're going to hear from financial advisor, J.B. Bryant. Also, the master teacher, Ashra Kwesi, is going to be with us to talk about the African origin of Christianity. So make sure that your radio is locked in tight in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Attorney Pettit, the the hush money case in Manhattan, is that, would you consider all the the cases that he's facing, this is the the, the least of of all of them? That's a good question, Carl. That uh, it seems like, I I wouldn't say it was the least. I think it's, uh, it was the first one out of the chute. And, uh, but uh, Stormy Daniels is real. And, uh, it might be the least in terms of penalty, but I think it is very serious uh, because it does, in fact, um, false statements and and uh, uh, perjury or potential what could be perjury. So I, I think that's a, a strong case, and I think that uh, uh, Alvin Bragg has been right on target. And we really got to look at these prosecutors that uh, we've had, um, Miss Willis in. Um, Atlanta, Georgia, state's attorney there, or district attorney. And uh, we really got to to look at uh, at uh, what has happened in terms, as I've indicated, with Latricia James. So you've had some strong, and the irony of this is, uh, and what Trump is, is complaining about, especially in the District of Columbia, with Judge Chuckton being the trial judge and being an African-American woman, he's, his paranoia that he's arguing or what uh, uh, is interesting is that uh, it's sort of a racial undertone <laughs> that uh, these prosecutors and judges uh, just happen to be people of color. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, and having said that, going to raise on the court of appeals and to the Supreme Court if they get there. Now, what does the Supreme Court do? What are they going to do? I think that's fascinating because you find that judges, once they become judges, they, except for Thomas, of course, they go back to uh, the point of being 
outstanding as a judge and being ethical. And here the law is so lopsided. Uh, I would be surprised if the Supreme Court even takes these Trump cases. And we've seen so far the ones they have mentioned, they have either not taken or they have, in fact, a rule with the appellate court against Trump. So I'm not so sure that even though it's a conservative court in terms of 9-3 uh, of the 12 justices, uh, I mean, of the uh, 11 justices, or nine justices, I'm not sure that it's automatically a Trump slam dunk. All right. Back to Alvin Bragg's case, uh, the fraud case in, in, in Manhattan. Does it, a conviction, would that require jail time or just a, a, a fine? Well, all of these, as I understand it, all of these cases uh, have some type of uh, a jail input. Uh, but now here's the interesting thing. All of these cases are by discretion of the court as whether or not he goes to jail, except, except for Georgia in Fulton County under the RICO Act. Under the RICO Act, of, uh, not the National RICO Act, but the Georgia RICO Act, the first five years are mandatory. And so that's the big difference of why RICO is so important uh, in terms of uh, Miss Wallace's prosecution, uh, because if she gets a conviction, then the judge has to deal uh, with the fact of the mandatory sentencing under the RICO Act uh, rather than discretionary sentencing. Well, let's talk about that. Let me jump here and talk about that. Do you really think that Donald Trump is going to go to jail on any of these? Do you think he's going to skate on all these 91 criminal charges? Do you really think he's going to go to jail or just get a slap on the wrist and a fine? That's that's the $64,000 question, Carl. Uh, I I can't see them putting him in jail because of the of the country being so divided and and the possibility of uh, insurrection again and his people being uh, acting in such a manner to disrupt the government. I think they're going to find a way to destroy him or bring him down uh, without putting him in jail. That's just my opinion, even though he should be in jail. Uh, That's why we see these judges holding off on the gag orders and holding off in terms of the contempt, although he's obviously in contempt and brags about being contempt because he is trying to, in fact, uh, create a situation where they put him in jail and he can, in fact, excite uh, his following and his electorate. All this is by plan. He's doing these things consciously to create an in-jail situation, and the judges are trying to circumvent that and what could happen uh, across the country. Now, if he is convicted of any of these charges, can he still run for office? Uh, The Constitution does not prohibit him uh, from running for office, even though we know, for example, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, uh, that he did support and uh, was involved in the insurrection. Uh, But the courts have found uh, that the statute does not specifically. This is the crazy part about that judge's ruling. She found that uh, he involved, was involved in the insurrection, but she found that the statute um, that, that the, the Congress made at that particular time did not, in fact, include the president. It included all other officials uh, in terms 
of, of, of aiding or abetting an insurrection, but they specifically, the statute did not include the president. And her reasoning was, if they wanted to include the president in that Congress, they could have done so. And by the fact that they didn't, uh, then she did not rule that uh, he was barred from uh, running for president. And so at this point in time, we could, in fact, have a felon as president of the United States if he were to be successful and uh, win. That's why what Biden said yesterday, this is one of the greatest threats to this nation uh, that we've ever witnessed since the Civil War. And this is not a legal question, but, you know, what, what he, and what prompted Biden to say that, because Trump says he, he was going to be a dictator, basically, and he's going to stay in office forever. How do you see, again, it's not a legal question, because Trump's got a lot of black support. I don't say a lot, but, they're, they're, you know, there's some black support out there. We've had some people call up and say, I'm supporting Donald Trump. I love Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump says, he don't, I don't like you, you know, but they still love Donald Trump. Do you think he can... How do, you, how do you see that? How do people, how do they, I don't know how to explain it. Cause how, do, how do people figure that, you know, he says he's going to be a dictator and they're down with it. They're, and they're still supporting him. Are they mesmerized by him or what, what's going on here? How do you see it? Carl, I can't answer that question. I mean, this is a man that has indicated that everything we have achieved uh, from the Civil War to uh, after the Civil War reconstruction uh, to the Johnson years, uh, to the Civil Rights Movement. He has, in fact, uh, taken away the Voting Rights Act. He's, in fact, taken away affirmative action. Uh, he's, in fact, indicated that he's going to defund anything. And now he's even attacking uh, Obama's uh, uh, health bill, uh, because that is something that lends itself uh, more to black folk than anybody else. And so here's a man that just you just said you used the right words, Carl. Here's a man that says, I hate you. I'm going to do anything that I can uh, in terms of making America great again to take you out as a people. And there are some black folk who support him. It's beyond my conception and my imagination. Yeah, that's a mystery for me as well. And, and, and you know, uh, I wrote a book about this, Carl, uh, back 10, 15 years ago and predicted all of this. It's going to take place when the right person came around because we were sleeping in terms of our civil rights victories while the right wing was moving even then with the coming of Reagan and so forth. And you're right, because, you know, they've, they started out back then but getting people on school boards and uh, commissioners, city commissioners, aldermen, and running at the, at the local levels first. And then they moved on up and started controlling everything. And it seems like uh, you're right. It, it seems like the whole country was asleep. And now they've woken up. You know, we're, we're, we're standing on, on the precipice of, of, of being run by a dictator. And even the, even with that evidence, uh, Attorney Pettit, some people still still are still mesmerized by this man. They still think he's good for them. I don't understand the call. That's a question I can't answer. You know, uh, we so have the, always been the conscious of America. And I'm just hoping uh, through radio shows like yours uh, that we will have awakened uh, the black and the people of color of this nation uh, to the threat that they are under and that they're facing. 
Right. And, and for the folks who, who don't get it twisted, this ain't about the Republican or Democrat. This is about the, the democracy. <laughs> you know, this is a, and it's proven how fragile democracy is with, with a person like Donald Trump. But, you know, I want to ask you about the, 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 the gag orders that they placed on, on Trump. Can he use that in his appeal? Well, that's what he's doing. He's trying to use those gag orders uh, to argue that they are trying to politically stifle him. And and uh, uh, that's why he's, he's arguing that he's protected by the First Amendment because he is a candidate for president. So all of this ties into his initial strategy and his, for, to support his decision uh, to run for president. Uh, you know, so it's, it's no mystery of what he's doing. Uh, and so far, it has worked because of uh, of the mega people that uh, have dying loyalty to him as a cult. And, you know, Carl, all we got to do is go back uh, to Mussolini, to go back to Hitler, to go back to uh, the, the dictators in, in power today in terms of uh, the Russian dictator, the Chinese dictator, and all the people that he supported in Argentina and Venezuela. Every dictator in the world is Trump's hero. And so we we should have seen that in 2016. Uh, we sort of saw it in 2020. But this man's whole aspiration uh, is about himself and power. And so, you know, he's come out and told the world and now is telling the world what he plans to do. I mean, it could not be uh, any plainer. Uh, then when Adolf he 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 has read uh, read Mein Kampf and reproduced Mein Kampf, which is the autobiography of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, and he said that he keeps it at his bedside. I don't know if that's true or not. But we're out of time. Before we go, though, Attorney Pettit, you mentioned that you wrote about this in your book. Can you give us the title of the book and how can we get copies? Under Color of Law, through Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble. Uh, the book. Uh, was uh, written about 15 years ago. I'm the author, obviously, and it goes through all of this uh, when Reagan comes to power because I was in the courtrooms at the time and I saw America changing. And I tried to, in this book, uh, make America aware of what was taking place. And while we were celebrating, they were plotting. So and true. thank you, Carl, for having me on the opportunity to, uh, to address what's happening in America right now as we speak. No, and thank you for for your brilliant an analysis of what's going on, because some of our people are still confused. But thank you again, Attorney Pettit. Thank you, Carl. Have All right, folks, day. we've got to get out of here. Holiday. Uh, same to you. Stay strong, stay positive, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also, we'll be in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power.